How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. So uh, today, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about who I've brought on. It's actually a special guest that we've been sitting on the interview for a few weeks. Um, before we get to that, uh, I'd like to talk about Infinite Off-Road. Infinite Off-Road's products are covered by the best warranty on the market. A 25-year, you break it, we replace it, and it even covers accidental damage. All of that is included on high-output light bars and pods, rock lights, whips, wheel rings, accessory power controllers, UTV mirrors with built-in lighting, and UTV grills with built-in lighting. Pretty much everything you can think of that's Infinite Off-Road branded, they've got it, and they'll offer that 25-year, you break it, we replace it warranty. Also, on the rock lights, they have the first red, green, blue, and white rock light on the market. It includes dedicated pure white emitters rather than mixing colors to create white. It's twice the emitters and twice the output that competitors give on the brightest output, richest colors, and widest patterns. Bluetooth controller with backup remote for additional control options. Heavy-duty aluminum case with side wire design eliminates the need for adapters and spacing pucks. Their modular kits allow addition of any of the below plug-and-play components, allowing full customization rather than a one-size-fits-all. They offer 4-watt and 8-watt rock light pods, dome light with built-in switch, HD flex strips in 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 foot, as well as red, green, and blue whips, and it plugs directly into the rock light controller. So visit my friends at Infinite Off-Road at infiniteoffroad.com. So now that that's out of the way, uh, I have a really cool guest today. Uh, in honor of Action Figures 2 being released by Nitro Circus, I have on the show today Hubert Rowland. So we actually did something pretty unique. Uh, we sat down, I actually met Hubert at his compound, and got a chance to look over his rigs, talk to him about his experiences, how he got started, and most recently his race at King of the Hammers. So I hope you guys enjoy the show, and here we go. Hubert Rowland, ladies and gentlemen. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us, and let's talk about racing on the rocks. How you doing, Hubert? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really I'm good. I'm glad you made it with all this rain we're getting. Yeah, it's been pretty. Uh, it's been pretty crazy. How I was actually I... looking for a boat to come up the driveway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My uh, my two wheel drive truck probably uh, probably wouldn't have done too bad if you didn't have all the gravel out there. Yeah, it'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, today, I just want to get a chance to talk to you and uh, know more about you. Know more about your experiences. So first, before we talk about the ride, let's talk about the man behind the wheel. How you doing? I'm doing great. So. So I'm Hubert Rowland, uh, also known as everybody's favorite redneck from the uh, Action Sports Group, Nitro Circus. Um, I'm right-hand man for Travis Pastrana. Take care of everything he owns between houses, cars, razors, four-wheelers, bikes, bicycles, property, trails, ramps, you know, everything. I just help keep all that stuff up and running. I'm also a pretty big part of Nitro Circus itself. Uh, funny redneck personality, kind of sometimes stunt man, and uh, I helped build a lot of the big stunts as far as the dirt work and the ramp building and such as that. Um, so that's that's kind of me and what I am. I grew up right here in Middle Tennessee, uh, just outside of Murfreesboro. I went to school at Oakland, got out of school, went to WyoTech, 
and I went towards motorcycle mechanics and that I was really aimed towards that. Uh, as a kid I didn't, I, I was never happy doing just normal jobs. Uh, I had a lot of a lot of jobs as I was younger and you know as soon as I got tired of a job like it just wasn't any fun. I had a family friend tell me, he said when you can't even stand the thought of waking up and going to work it's time to find something else to do. I like that. So that's what I did. If I worked somewhere for a while and I didn't like it I just left. I'd go in there and I'd pay my dues, I'd say bye, and I'd go on. And so I uh, I always knew I wanted to do something around off-road stuff, motorcycles, four-wheelers. Uh, at that time, there was no UTVs. I mean, that's that's kind of how long ago it was. <laughs> so when were you when were you born? I, I was born in 82. 82. So, so I'm 36. So you started riding dirt bikes uh, right out of the gate. You had a, you mentioned you had a go-kart, but... I, I got a, my first go-kart when I was three. Okay. My grandpa built it for me on two lawnmowers. That's amazing. And <laughs> I had a three-speed reverse. <laughs> and uh, I hit the shed, put a hole in the wall. I hit my go. mom's Z28 Camaro and put a dent in the I dent the door. Um, but that didn't go good for Little you. Little things like that, they get the key taken away from me. So yeah, but that didn't at that time I didn't know all lawnmowers took the same key or I'd just go pull the key out of the mower. But, you know, <laughs> I kinda grew up doing that and I grew up with a couple dirt bike magazines and you know, always looking at the same magazines, just thought this looks so cool. Yeah. And once I got old enough to actually kind of make a little bit of money and put a little money aside, you know, working mowing yards, working at horse barns, whatever else, I kinda bought my first bike and what was your first bike um my first dirt bike was like i think it was the xr80 okay and it was a pile of junk like it didn't run <laughs> i mean the wheels were on it and that was about it and you know out here out here in the hills where we grew up you know with all the farming and stuff like that there was always something to ride yeah but it was like you work on it for three hours to ride it for 30 minutes that's the life. but that was the best 30 minutes ever absolutely that's the life right there and we just thought it was amazing like you you jumped the driveway and like you're doing big things yeah and then uh I went to Wild Tech and come out and uh, decided I wanted to race myself, so I saved up money and I bought a, uh, well I had a four-wheeler already, so I went and raced four-wheelers for a little while, and um, you know, I was never backed on it like that, I just, I raced to what I had money for. So what is, um, for, for those listening, what is life like whenever, you know, you have a desire to race, you have a vehicle that may not be up to standards of racing, how, how do you even get that ball rolling? I mean, all honestly, like growing up, you know, I didn't know how any of that worked either. I I saw pictures of racing, and I'd see racing if it come on, like, local TV every, you know, once every four years. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought it was, like, some kind of thing that you had to, I don't know, I thought there was, like, a million hoops you had to jump through to, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I got a four-wheeler and I decided I wanted to go racing, well, I had some friends race dirt bikes. I said, oh, bring it with. I got a four-wheeler class. So I'd had a basically a bone stock 400EX, and nice. uh, which was an awesome puller at yeah. that time. Went out there, and it's literally, you sign up, and you race. Really? And pay your due. Yeah. You know, pay your money to get in the gate. If it's an AMA event, you know, you pay that little fee to be an AMA member, sure. which kind of covers insurance and stuff, and then you pay your fee for your class, and that's it. You just go race. Yeah. I thought there was more to it than that. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids, like, if they didn't grow up around it, and they see it, and they want to try it, they same way, like if, if their parents didn't grow up around it, they really don't know how to get into it. Yes. Yeah. They don't realize it's, I, I'm just here to tell everybody that it's literally as easy as go to the track, pay your fees to get in, and race. It's literally that easy. That's they, amazing because I grew up exactly the situation that you just described where none of my parents raced, no, no one I knew raced, and I thought 
you know, on the Sundays once a month at 4 a.m. in the morning when you saw racing on and there was some rerun, that these guys were professional racers. All they did was work on their units, and it was every single guy out there that lived that story. But to hear that it's just people who live a regular life, go out, do what they love to do, sign up for these events, and show up and race, that's amazing. And that's on a on kind of a, a local entry scale. Mm-hmm. That That's literally all it is. Like yeah. Facebook and social media and everything is so strong nowadays that if you were a kid and you had a dirt bike in your backyard, mm-hmm. whether it be an XR80 or a CR125 mm-hmm. or whatever, you could... You could just post out, I want to go race. Can someone point me in the right direction? Yeah. And you would get some feedback because it's pretty easy. Now, mm-hmm. back when I grew up, you know, pretty younger and, and yourself, we didn't have social media and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you kind of had to rely on people that were around you. Mm-hmm. And if no one around you raced, we all just kind of rode around farms. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no real way to know how to get out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now the people you see on TV and stuff like that, I mean, that's a little bit different. You know, that is professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to have, I mean, outside of an AMA membership, you have to have a pro card that you acquire, have so many years of pro class and points and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So you you have to qualify for that. But on an entry level, just locally, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you just find a track, yeah. find their ride days. You know, I advise everyone to, to if you want to do motocross or trails or whatever, you know, just look into a local group. There's a local group that comes here to my house, and they put on their annual picnic every year. Really? It's called... Uh, Middle Tennessee Dirt Riders. Yeah. It's an awesome, it's a dirt bike group, you know, only dirt bikes. Yeah. But they put on, they're a little group, and I think the membership's like 40 bucks a year. Yeah. And they have a ride every month somewhere in the state that's or amazing. in the middle middle of the southeast area. So that's I mean, a perfect way to go. These just, are just open groups that anyone yeah, can Yeah, that's be an a open group. Of. Like you, It's a family-oriented group. Like they come here, they put on their little picnic, it's mm-hmm. kids and you know, parents and older people, and it's all kinds of people. Some people race, some people don't. Yeah. But that's a perfect kind of entryway to get into just riding with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone there has some knowledge of some sort, mm-hmm. whether it's racing or just trail riding or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just great people to be around. Um, I love power sports and racing and all that kind of stuff just because it's very kind of family-oriented. Mm-hmm. Nearly anywhere you go, people help you for the most part. Yeah. Um, until you get to the high level, mm-hmm. they'll still help you. But the, com- the competition is so big mm-hmm. and so tight, yeah. and they're really kind of pushing so hard with companies and money and all that kind of stuff. Right. That kind of takes some of the friendliness out of it. I mean, yeah. they're friendly person to person, yeah. but at the same time, they have their little secrets that yeah. you know, they just can't let them out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and absolutely. that's just p- part of it. But I mean, it's literally that simple to get, you know, I advise everybody to get out and ride. Yeah. Um, this last year, I did a power sports safety meeting, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a presentation thing at a school up in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working on doing that more and more. So we go to schools, we talk to, and show a cool highlight video of Nitro Circus and all the stunts yeah. and get kids excited and, and just encourage kids, kids, adults, people, everyone, just go outside, get off your phones and yeah. get out and ride. Absolutely. But also do it in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, riding is what I live for. You know, I, I love riding and yeah. I love being involved with all this kind of stuff and if we can kind of give everyone the little nudge and a little push that it's anyone can go out and ride mm-hmm. and you know just do it in a safe way have the right gear have the right size bikes and you know go online and take like the little safety courses and stuff like that so yeah. you, you have a good general understanding of how to operate your machine sure. in a safe way sure. if you start out safe 
you'll those safe skills will will travel throughout your yeah, life. You'll build the pattern, and you'll have a pattern where everything's just natural. So, I, you, so I've you, been, said, you said one thing that I wanted to step back on. Uh, you said find the right size bike. Is it a common issue for people? Do they ride undersized bikes, oversized bikes? What do you find more often? Well, when I when I say the right size bike or machine, every OEM has kind of a a guideline mm-hmm. of you know if you're under the age 18, you shouldn't be on this. And, okay. You know, I don't think you can ever be on too small of a bike yeah. because we race <laughs> we race mini bikes against each yeah, other. Absolutely. Uh, and actually, a mini bike will hurt you way faster than a big bike because you don't respect it. Trust me, I understand. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think as a as a early early learning for kids, mm-hmm. they kind of need to stick within the right size range. Yeah. Uh, because a, a smaller bike is easier for a smaller kid to operate. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sure a kid could get on a bigger bike or a bigger four wheeler or, or a bigger UTV, mm-hmm. and they could handle it. And mm-hmm. if they've been around it a lot and they've mm-hmm. rode a lot, they'll probably handle it just fine. Yeah. But it's all a kind of a size reference to the the size of the person. Sure. It kind of makes sense. You know, it's easy for myself to handle a 200-pound bike because I weigh like 180 and I've right. been doing it forever. Right. Uh, but to put a, a little 65-pound kid on there, yeah, it's kind of overweighting them pretty bad. Yeah, absolutely. And not to say they couldn't handle it. They, sure. There's a lot of kids that can. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as a, as an early general learning curve, if you get the right gear and the right size motorcycle or four-wheeler or whatever and kind of build your way up yeah uh later on in life you know even just a few years down the road things are just easier yeah I agree. and it all becomes just a natural habit you yeah. know i've been hurt more times goofing off than i was ever hurt racing yeah because when you're racing you're fully geared you know you're focused on what you're doing you, you know you're trying to make things work yeah um if you just hop on your bike and scoot across the field and you're not even thinking about it and you hit a I've hit ditches and rocks and whatever that I didn't Ooh. know they were and flipped me over the bars and Ooh. pulled my knee and stuff like that, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, prime example, my brother. Yeah. He loves riding dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. My track is right here beside my house. And this is before my house was here. I was out of town with Travis and whatever. He goes back here and rides by himself all the time. And I said, man, you don't need to do that. You know, if you do, keep your phone. I was like, you know, yeah. he's like, well, it's home track. You know, I know everything and I don't, I don't jump to bigger stuff. I was like, that's fine. I said, but still, freak things happen. You know, just be sure. careful. He was done riding. He was riding back to the shop. And we have a, like a little bitty jump that you hop over a ditch. Yeah. He went to hop over that ditch, and his chain broke on the face of that little jump. Flipped him forwards, broke his leg right there in the field. And he's there by himself. Yeah. And it's a freak thing. Like, yeah. it shouldn't have happened. But, you he know. He was out there uh, by himself. He was out there by himself. Wow. He couldn't get up because it broke his leg, you know, down between his knee and his ankle. Ooh. And... He basically drug himself across the field, like two or three hundred feet, until he saw my mom go by on the road. That's a war story. And he just started yelling. Yeah. And I mean, he's in you know pretty excruciating pain. Yeah. He yelled. She wow. came down there, found him, put him in the car, took him to the hospital, and you know it, it got all fixed. It was lucky it was only that, yeah. only a broken leg, which is bad. But at the same time, if it was a femur, yeah, or something like that, yeah. I mean, there's a small possibility you could bleed out and die. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you just got to be careful. And I think keeping people around you, you know, I don't think people should ride on their own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just start out safe. Yeah. And kind of keep that safety with you. You know, if we can if we can really promote that mm-hmm. safety and power sports is safe and fun. Absolutely. You know, I think we're doing something good. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, uh, I want to transition uh, 
the next thing is you mentioned uh, your compound and how you have a track around here. So this is my first time uh, being out here and walking out here, this is every man's dream. You walk into a, a half shop, half house, and uh, the house is excellent. It's just everything you've seen in, uh, on Facebook or pictures on the internet. It's everything you've ever wanted. He's got a track literally within sight of his shop. It's amazing. So what, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about it beforehand, but, but what does it take, you know, why, what's your case you'd make for having this versus a traditional house? Well, I mean, this, you know, like, like I said earlier, like I grew up, I just loved power sports. Mm -hmm. And I knew early on I was going to do something with it. I wanted to race and be pro. I started too late. At the end of the day, that's all it was to it. Yeah. It wasn't lack of wanting. Mm -hmm. uh, it was lack of money, yeah. lack of skills, yeah. because I started pretty late in the game. When did you start? I started racing when I was... 18, 19 years old. Okay, yeah. But that's when I could pay for everything on my right, own. Right, absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of how it worked out. Yeah. My mom's, my mom watched Travis's uh, documentary, yeah. 199 Lives, and she come up to me and she's, afterwards she's seen it, and I still haven't seen all of it. Sure. And she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, why? She's like, you always wanted to race, and I never knew how to make it happen. You know, I was, we were working and, you know, just trying to, you know keep everything going yeah i was like no that's fine that's part of it yeah you know that's you do what you have to do yeah you, um, don't, you don't get so to I, the cards you dealt i took it upon myself mm -hmm. to make it to where i could race and just save pennies and go race and then come back and work next week to race again yeah. and you know over the years it, it it went up and it went down and all that kind of stuff but i always knew i was going to do something in power sports and our family property here you know we have a couple hundred acres mm -hmm. and I figured, well, I'll build a, a house here somewhere. And over on this side of the property, I already have my track in this field. Mm -hmm. And this second lot that's our land also, there was a single wide trailer here. And um, I just decided, you know, I'm going to build something right there. Yeah. So I got on uh, got on my dozer because I build tracks for a living also. You know, yeah. build motocross, supercross tracks, X Games. I help, I assist in all those kind of things. Yeah. So I had a dozer here that I you know, rented, and I just started pushing trees down. Yeah. And uh, every time I come back <laughs> I <like> home, <laughs> every time I come back home, I'd push a little bit more, and I'd yeah. push a little more dirt out, and then I'd, I'd leave, and it, it took me probably six, eight months to get yeah. the dirt pad flat, you know, how it needed to be. Yeah, and absolutely. We went and uh, borrowed some money, and I said, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. And I went, I used Google SketchUp to build some jumps. Very nice. So I drew out a house. Yeah. Basically, just a shop. With an apartment in the front half of it. Okay. And it's a two-level apartment. Okay. So that's kind of what I did. And I put lean-tos on both sides to mm -hmm. keep my equipment and my bikes and stuff in. So my shop's not always cluttered. And it's still cluttered right now. <laughs> I went out there. It actually, it, you know, I don't want you to see my shop because uh, mine's a little smaller. But it's uh, it's slammed to the brim. <laughs> yeah. We have quite a bit of stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, that's just, I, I, I'm self-employed. Sure. And I work on things and... I help people that race, and I work on their little things, and I work on my equipment. So I'm in and out and around all the time. Mm -hmm. So I wanted—that's what's most efficient for me. Yeah. You know, I have a, a house and a shop all under one roof, and I can open a set of double doors and pull a razor in my living room if I feel like you it. Can. You can. You 100 can. Or I can just walk out there and work on it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, that—that's just what I chose. Yeah. Um, and after looking into it. You know, I couldn't put this kind of money 
and get this kind of square footage out of a house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's basically a pole barn yeah. with some dividing walls in it. It's mm -hmm. basically the simple of it what it is. But we've got stained concrete floors. Very nice. And, you know, all nice appliances and all that kind of stuff. Yes, and, it's very, very nice. You know, it's just work hard and save your pennies and, and it, it all works out eventually. It's There's It, it does take time. That. Nothing nothing happens overnight, I'll tell everybody that. Yeah. Including backflips. Like... <laughs> I, can, I can relate a oh backflip to I can relate to all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I've taught numerous people how to backflip on like a motorcycle. Yeah. And most people, as soon as they come off the ramp, they pull, nothing happens, and they let go. Yeah. Well, if you treated life like that, well, you're not going to get very far. Yeah. It takes time. So if you That's go good. into a backflip and you pull on it, just, just hold on to it for a second. It'll start, and then it'll happen. Yeah. And it's the same way in life. Life's wow. kind of the same way, you know. Yeah. I kicked the dirt off, and I got it all flattened out. And yeah. Then that was the initial start, mm -hmm. and I knew it wouldn't happen overnight, but in a year, we built this place. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's kind of average time frame on yeah. something like this. I think houses and subdivisions are popping up pretty fast, but... That's a, that's uh, a different story. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what I've always wanted, so yeah. that's what I built. Well, it's very nice, and uh, thank you again for having me out here. Oh, this yeah. Is very, yeah, no very problem. cool. But uh, let's go ahead and talk. Uh, let's get into the next one. So you mentioned you built your own track out here. You built your ramps. You're, you're a ramp builder. You're a track builder. Um, obviously, that falls under the umbrella for Nitro Circus for what oh, you yeah. did for them. So how do you, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, as far as getting into building ramps, I mean, there's definitely an art to it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, like, I do mostly the dirt side of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and Nitro, we do have kind of a crew of guys that do the metal ramps mm -hmm. and I help with it mm -hmm. but they kind of use the Google SketchUp also they'll lay out a ramp mm -hmm. you know on there and pull the measurements and they'll they'll just mimic it to real life um, but those guys can roll out a ramp I mean they can build a normal dirt bike freestyle ramp uh -huh. about four hours are you joking that's yeah. amazing um, and it, it looks kind of complex but it's really a lot of straight pieces and they roll out a couple tubes and then I mean they're quick yeah and um you know, I grew up on a farm, uh, running tractors and, yeah. you know, building my own little jumps and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of that comes from experience. Sure. Um, just time in the seat, time riding, time racing, kind of knowing what works, what doesn't, going to a track and, you know, I like this. Yeah. And kind of remembering that jump. Sure. But I didn't like this. Sure. And, and just thinking in my head, well, I would change this a little bit like this. Sure. And then when I come back and I build something that I'm going to ride on or mm -hmm. someone else, that's in my head. I was like, all right, well, let's let's try to build it like that. Yeah. Let's build it a little bit better. Uh, my end goal with dirt work and yeah. and all that stuff, building tracks for people is, when I'm building it for personal people, mm -hmm. unless they're a pro racer, and I do build for a few pro racers. Sure. Uh, pro racers, I mean, pro racers, they want it fun, but at the same time, they want it challenging so they can Practice. keep their skills yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Where most personal people, um, they want it fun. Yeah. And, you know... A lot of people have the ideas of big, great, big doubles and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like, I tell people, I said, man, it's just dirt. Yeah. I can shape it however you want to. I can build you the nastiest double you've ever seen. <laughs> and I said, you'll probably not jump it. Yeah. <laughs> or I can build you something pretty similar to it that looks a lot safer and is a lot safer. Yeah. And you'll get nearly the same result out of it. Yeah. So, you know, it, a lot of it's experience. Uh, with our stunts, like the triple flip and the, yeah. those ramps, there's a lot of calculation into them. Yeah, certainly. And that's a lot of stuff that kind of we keep within. Sure. You know, that doesn't yeah. go out. Absolutely. Um, we have the front flip ramps that work. Yeah. And other people have built them. And it's funny because like our ramp guys, like Travis, like, all right, we'll send in the measurements for this front flip ramp. I was like, man, that's 
messed up yard, just let our guys build it. That yeah. way it's always the same. Absolutely. He's like, well, you know, whatever, you know, he's not about money. He's just yeah. about progressing the sport. And I was Absolutely. like, all right, well, that's cool. Well, some guys down in Australia built ramps. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Had to send our guy down there mm. to fix it. Yeah. And there is a, in some stuff that's that technical, yeah. there is a lot of knowledge within knowing kind of where to put weight and yeah. where to put a radius and where not. Yeah. Um, and dirt, dirt, you know, we do a lot of the same things. You know, I can build the exact same things out of, out of dirt. Yeah. And a lot of times if we're doing a new ramp or a new jump, we'll build it out of dirt first. Yeah. Because we can adjust the dirt a lot faster. Than you can metal. Than you can a full metal ramp. Absolutely. So we'll get it really close. Yeah. And we'll get it where it, it acts exactly how they want it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll pull measurements off of it and, you know, basically copy it to metal. Okay. But... Sometimes that doesn't work either. <laughs> yeah. So, so you said the guys in Australia had issues, and in, in the the front flip ramp just didn't work. Uh, how do you? I mean, how does it not work? How do you find well, out? I mean, so the front flip ramp is is a mechanical ramp. Mm-hmm. So it's it's got a gate on it that basically helps kick the back end over you. Okay. And I don't know what was wrong with it. I mean, they they copied the measurements to what they sent, mm-hmm. but evidently something was wrong. Because yeah. our buddy Steve went down there and fixed it. Okay. It took him about a day to fix it. Wow. Because you got to pull it apart. Right. you got to cut some things out. And some of it, on a mechanical side of a ramp, weight's an issue. Because sure. that, that flipper and that ramp setup has to kind of, it has to move a certain way. Sure. And it has to move, the timing of it has to work right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to it. Yeah. It's even hard to explain. You just have to be there and watch it. And like, yeah, yeah. that's not working. So, have you ever tried the front flip? No, I haven't messed with it. I, mean, <laughs> I, I do backflips on mini bikes, big bikes. Yeah. I did a backflip on a four-wheeler yeah. in a nitro uh, movie. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fine with that. Sure. The front flip ramp, I mean, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll just put one up to the foam pit and do it just to do it. Sure. Um, I think as we get older in life, you kind of realize what you're good at and what you're not. I agree. And stick with what you're good at. Uh, <laughs> Especially at the caliber of doing a front flip on a dirt bike. Well, the way that ramp's built... Uh, I'm not saying it's foolproof, sure, but it does help. Okay, and we've we've put people on bikes and that really have no skills whatsoever. Okay, and the front flip, the ramp and the gate and everything on it, it does help kind of kick it yeah. a little bit to get it started. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it's on the rider. Yeah, to kind of in their head know what to do to make it keep coming. Yeah, either to make it flip quicker, right, or to slow it down, right. So on on a back flip. You can, on a backflip, you can slow a flip down, but you can't speed it up. Right. So you almost have to spin it too fast and then slow it down by yeah, like just pushing away from it and yeah. getting it out. Yeah, certainly. On a front flip, it's kind of the opposite. Like, yeah. you can speed it up, but you can't slow it down. Yeah. Like, once it's going, it's going. So this whole <laughs> idea of, like, speeding up and slowing down, is this something that y'all take, like, a, a more, like, uh, science, like, physics approach? Or is this just, I'm just going to go out there and I know how this feels and you know, it's one of those things that when you when you go off a jump and a side by side, you know as soon as you're in the air, this is going to be terrible, or you've missed the landing, or you're going to come short. Is it the same feeling when you're doing a backflip? Does it does it feel that bad to you? Yeah. in the air because it feels that bad to me before I even hit the ramp. I know whether I'm going to make it or not. Yeah, no, I trust me, trust me. Sometimes you have that feeling, but when you're when you're coming off the ramp, you know exactly what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, I mean, on on the building end, it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the people hitting it, again, it's it's a little bit of trial and error. It's yeah. a lot of like past experience mm-hmm. um, to 
to knowing, you know, Travis is kind of the ringleader. Sure. He he knows what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he'll we can build some unreal stuff, and he'll go do it, and he'll make it. And he might even struggle a little bit, but yeah. he'll figure it out to make it work. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everybody else can. Is he just? We've a, already experienced that a couple of times. Like we built some big, insane ramps. Yeah. And he blew people out. Come on, let's hit it. Let's get this in the shows. Yeah. And guys hit it like twice, and we're like, no, I'm not hitting that no more. <laughs> he's like, oh, come on, you know. So then he finds somebody else, and he's yeah. like, all right, this guy is a decent rider, but he really doesn't have any kind of trick skills. Yeah. And he's doing it. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because he doesn't know no better. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> okay, but still, yeah. come on. And so, it so, just takes a lot of time to get people, because in general, like, people don't like going outside of their comfort zone. Certainly. And when they're nearly asked to do it on command, mm-hmm. that's when people react the opposite even worse. Yeah, they shrivel up. Or he strives on that. Like, yeah. He doesn't love to get out of his comfort zone, but that's when he works the best. Yeah. Is when times are really tight, you got to make it work now. That's when he works the best. And there's very few people like that. I was going to say, we all know the, those people that when it really comes down to crunch time, they always seem to pull through. Is that uh, is that just something that's baked in from birth, you think? Or is this something that is learned over his years of doing this? I, I think it's a little of both. Okay. I think, I think that, that mentality and that aspect in your mind, I think that can be... I think that can partially be taught mm-hmm. from day one, like mm-hmm. early, early, early on. Right, right. But you have to have that kind of initial push and initial mindset to, you know, it's going to be all right, I'll make it work. Yes. If you've always, if you've always had a mindset of, I don't know, you, you're, you're always kind of hesitant mm-hmm. and your surroundings, you know, people around you have always kind of been hesitant, you're going to kind of fall that direction. Yeah. And not say you can't get out of it, mm-hmm. but you you nearly have to branch totally away from it mm-hmm. until you get okay with it, and yeah. then you come back. Um, now, that whole idea of hesitation is something that, that I personally have learned over time, but I see it all the time, and I see it on Instagram and all the, all the videos of people having really bad accidents. It seems like if you hesitate, you will have an issue. Yeah. You've got to fully commit to something. If you want something to happen... If you want to make the jump, if you want to make the trick, you've got to be committed from the time that you take your foot off the ground and you go. Yeah. Uh, and the, the biggest the biggest mistake a lot of people make, um, not necessarily on the early on learning mm-hmm. where you don't really have much knowledge, you're just you're just learning. Mm-hmm. But the people that that do have the skills, the biggest mistake is you second guess yourself. Absolutely. You know, and, and I'm I'm guilty of it. There's many other people like I could, I could probably go out there. And if I didn't think about it, if I just went, I'm doing a flip, mm-hmm. you know, to the foam pit or whatever, a small flip. If I just went up there and did it mm-hmm. and just yanked on it and made it work, yeah, my reactions from the past mm-hmm. would kick in and I, I would just naturally make it work. Yeah. But if I come up to it and I second guessed it, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, well, then everything freezes and then it goes bad. Absolutely. And that, that goes everywhere from like a flip to climbing a hill to... Yeah. I mean, crossing the intersection. I yeah, mean, you know, absolutely. it, it, it kind of goes throughout life. Yeah, I agree. Um, the second guessing is not always the best thing. Yeah. But sometimes it's the safest thing, and yeah. people tend to stay towards safety, and that's fine. You know, I encourage people to, to go towards things in a safe manner. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the, gonna this, do it, do this it. country <laughs> didn't get built off of safety. Absolutely. That's <laughs> what was, I like there's, to hear. there's risk. You absolutely. Know, there is risk, and it's a risk and reward ratio. Certainly. 
and you know, if is the risk really worth the reward? Yeah. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Correct. So you, you just have to justify that on yourself. Yeah. Because if you're not willing to risk it, there's someone else that is. Yeah, absolutely. So how often uh, are you currently, like nowadays, traveling for Nitro Circus? I see you out and about quite a bit. I mean, I I travel for Nitro and help Nitro kind of all depending on film dates and sure. stuff like that, what we're building and all that kind of stuff. And then I travel, you know, with Travis and help Travis. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Like whatever's needed. And, yeah. You know, so it, it varies. Okay. I mean, it's there's never really a, a time off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the off time is like... Thanksgiving until January 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, but because there's always, I mean, even if we're not physically doing things, yeah. there's things in plans. Sure. Like, you know, there's emails and texts yeah. and things like that come across. And, yeah. You know, those things take time. Well, a lot of stuff, like, like we said earlier, no, nothing happens overnight. Sure. And so, I mean, yeah, you can get in, go put gas in your razor or your foil or whatever, and you can go ride tomorrow. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that to some people, that's a, that's a goal. Yeah. That's awesome. But when you're planning what we're planning, like yeah. some of the biggest stunts in the world, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. No, no I understand. There's a lot to it. That's um, good that there's a lot to it. Because if you guys were trying to do the biggest stunts and you just thought of it at lunch and tried to do it by dinner, it uh, probably well, that, wouldn't be That's so happened good. too sometimes. <laughs> but that's everything's at his house. Everything's yeah. set up. It's yeah. like, hey, and they were already riding. It's like, hey, yeah. I think this should work. Yeah. Try this, this, and this. So let's run back there and try it. So what's the craziest thing? that they thought of like that, where they're like, you know what, let's try this while everybody's out here, and it's been successful. It's hard to ask me those kind of questions, sure. because to me, nothing's crazy. That's you, very you, true you come, you, I, I come accustomed to it, yeah. where it's like, oh, well, let's go back there and try three flips, three flips two spins. I'm yeah. like, okay, what do you need? Yeah. And we'll make it happen. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know, like, he he's tried like, one flip, one spin. He mm-hmm. tried that next games years ago. Shattered his ankle. Yeah. And um, you know, I was with him the entire time through that, as far as practicing every single day. Yeah. You know, foam pits, a hundred plus degrees. Yeah. And jumping like ten times in a row. Mm-hmm. Go eat lunch, come back, jump ten times in a row. Go hit the pool. You know, eat some food, come back ten times in a row again. Yeah. You know, he's jumping a foam pit like, you know, pushing between thirty and sixty times a day. Yeah. And you know. We we have the operation where it works extremely fast to get him out, keep him moving, keep him moving. Yeah. Um, because you have to on something like that and those kind of big events, you have to treat everything like it's the very first time. Right. Um, because you're not getting a second chance. Yeah. So you got to come in there basically blind and make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like he he had said he had said or you know and they had tried it for years on like the soft landings and stuff like that. He's mm-hmm. like I think two flips. And two spins will work easier. I said, man, that makes no sense. Yeah, whatsoever. I don't know about that. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. You know what you're feeling. And, yeah. uh, and he, he actually did it. Wow. Uh, on the Action Figures 2 yeah. movie. It's been out on uh, Sony Crackle. It'll be out for purchase come March. Okay. Uh, Action Figures 2. And in that movie, it shows him two flips, two spins. He did it to a landing and rode away. Oh, my gosh. And... Um, we had it set up earlier in that day to a different airbag. Yeah. And he was he was pushing it hard. And he wasn't fully committing to it. He was just making sure he had enough time to feel it out. And sure. he's like, I've got it. And, you know, myself and, you know, we're all just, we're there to make sure he has whatever he needs yeah. to make it work. Uh, whether it's bikes, water, yeah. you know, ramps, whatever. Just the ultimate support staff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we Amazing. are the support 
staff that keeps him and Nitro running. Yeah. And but at the same time, like I'm not acrobatic, mm-hmm. so I can't really picture it. He's telling me, oh, sure. if, I, if I turn my head at this time, it'll create this and this. And I was like, yeah, buddy, sounds good to me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I said, I don't get it. I said, like, I, I see yeah. it, but I don't. But we had our uh, buddy Trevor Jacob there. Yeah. He's an Olympic snowboarder. Sure. And Trevor's like, yeah, I see it. Do this, this, and this, and it'll work. Madmen. And so, are. like, when, <laughs> when you get people with that same mindset together, sure. I mean, it's amazing and it's unreal, but it's almost dangerous at the yeah, same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that that's one of the craziest thing, things that I've seen. Sure. Uh, just from it to go from nearly nothing to that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a six-year period. Absolutely. What it took to make that trick happen. That's amazing. Now, as far as, like, one-time stunts. Sure. I mean, he did the Evil Knievel thing last Amazing. last summer, and that's yeah. awesome, and that's a reenactment of Evil, right? And it's not taking anything from Evil whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's a tribute to Evil. Sure, uh, a lot of the older generation, uh, even like that day and later yeah. on, you know, I've run into older people, and they're like, "Well, you know, Evil did it on a bike with only sixty horsepower and all this, and you know, he he didn't have practice and all this kind of stuff." And I'm like, "Hey." I said, we're not taking that from him. Right. Like, that man showed what's possible. Yes. I was like, but that doesn't mean we need to walk backwards and do it. I agree. I was like, we have the technology. We might as well use it. Yeah. Do better. Do bigger. So, you know, that was all, you know, very laid out. Sure. You know, between bike setup and ramp setup and, you know, to where it's a live show. Like, mm-hmm. it needs to work exact. Yeah. And so that's how it was laid out. For our know. listeners, what what is the stunt he actually did? Just in case anyone doesn't know. Oh, so the Evil Knievel tribute was back last summer. Mm-hmm. And it was just a tribute on three of e- Evil Knievel's most iconic jumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was over so many Greyhound buses. Yeah. The other one was the Caesars Palace. Oh, yeah. Or the, the yeah. Caesars Fountain in front of mm-hmm. Caesars out in Vegas. Yeah. And the other one was, I want to say it was over cars or something like that. It mm-hmm. was three different distances. Sure. And... Uh, but at the end of the day, comparing to what he's did, mm-hmm. it, there's no comparison. Sure. Like, he's done way more technical things. Absolutely. And we're not, like I said, we're not taking nothing from evil. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, it's a tribute, and it's kind of a con- it's kind of a connect the dots, because you have the older generation that watched it happen. Mm-hmm. You have the mid-generation that may have seen it and kind of seen it on TV and seen, like, later on, and, yeah. like, wow, that's pretty neat. And the younger generation has no clue who he is. Yeah. So it's trying to connect the generations and show, yeah. like... This is where action sports started. Yeah. Is this awesome old guy just had an idea of like, let's jump my Harley like a long ways. And, <laughs> a Harley of all and, things. And jump it and see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where that all went. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's plans for future. You cool. just have to wait and see. Cool. You that's know, exciting. There's more that I can talk about. And yeah. There's more that I don't even know. Yeah. So, you know, there's exciting. a lot of cool things going on. Well, good. No, good. Uh, so I want to go back to you, and I want to talk about what you've been up to. Um, obviously, you're a uh, you're a side-by-side driver. It, you're wildly popular on social media. Um, let's talk about the rigs that you're running right now. Um, how many units do you have? What brand do you like to run? Tell us about that. Well, so, you know, as I spoke earlier, I started on go-karts, mm-hmm. you know, four-wheelers, and went dirt bikes, and I raced a long, long time. And then the Razor come out in 08. Mm-hmm. And I picked up my first Razor, I don't know, probably probably six, seven years ago. Yeah. Our neighbor up in Maryland had an 08 Razor 800. Yeah. And he wanted to sell it. And it just sat outside. So I bought it, yeah. you know, at a 
pretty cheap price, mm -hmm. and I still have it now. Uh, that's kind of where I started, but I yeah. only used it for like, you know, ride trails a little bit around the farm just to kind of get around and see things sure. and carry somebody with. Mm -hmm. And that's all I used it for. And then the XP one thousand come out. Yeah. And my first when I first saw the XP one thousand, you know, I saw it at my local dealership. I was like, that thing's way too big. Yeah. Way too big. Like, yeah. like that thing, that, that's not gonna fit down any trails. Yep. No one's gonna buy that. Yeah, I've got four of them now. There it so, is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: Did you ever have a nine hundred? You ever? Or did you just jump nine hundred? I, I never had a nine hundred. Uh, we had one that we filmed with. Uh huh. Uh, it got wrecked numerous times. I like it. And uh, <laughs> I only drove it once. Yeah. And. What did you think, 800 to 900 when you got behind the I mean, I thought the power was unreal. Sure. And then Travis acquired two 1000s through uh -huh. Polaris. Uh, got them at a, at a good deal, and uh, they showed up, and I was like, all right, well, what do you want to do with these things? He's like, well, I want to, uh, he's like, we need to try to see if we can incorporate them in, with some of the stuff we do. I was like, all right. So we just took 1000s, and we... Uh, my buddy here locally, Wide Open Design, he built yeah. cages for them um, just so, because we knew they were going to get cartwheeled. We yeah, knew that. You absolutely. Because we're, when we're filming, we don't, you don't necessarily want to put someone that's a good driver in it. Yeah. You want to put someone in it that's just willing to try what you tell them to try. <laughs> so, that oh, makes uh, the best film. Yes, Because it does. they'll point and they'll shoot and they'll do exactly what you say. Yeah. They may not necessarily land it right away. Yeah. But until that point, it's going to look awesome. Absolutely. So uh, we had the 1000s and uh, um, being good friends with you know some, some pretty high up people, uh, the lead singer from Florida Georgia Line, Tyler Hubbard. Yeah. So we made good connections with him. Yeah. One of, one of our connections worked for EVS at the time, which is pads, mm -hmm. helmets, stuff like that. Right. He knew Tyler before he was even singing. You know, years ago. Yeah. So he introduced Tyler to all of us, and you know they had done started singing and, and pretty popular. Yeah. They come out and filmed a little bit at Travis's house, and you know Tyler lives here, you know, just outside of Nashville. Sure. And he reached out to me, and he said, "Hey, you know, I, I bought some property. I want to build a motocross track. You know, I grew up riding. Yeah. So I went out there and met with him. Uh, he grew up riding and loved riding, but he said we're so busy that I don't want to drive." hour two hours to a track just ride for a couple hours and come yeah, back he said yeah. i'm not home much yeah he said so i bought this property i want to just build a track here so i'm gonna ride right out of my garage yeah i was like oh yeah that makes sense everyone wants a track at their house yeah absolutely so we laid him out a, a awesome fun you know technical but safe track mm -hmm. you know a couple big jumps and small stuff a little bit of everything yeah and he, he loves it he rides every chance he gets really and um you know talking with travis and you know, he wanted to try to set a record jump. Yeah. You know, this is back when the 1000 was like barely a year old. Now, Travis or... Well, he, just, he wanted to set up a record jump of some sort. Okay. And then we'll pick someone to drive. Oh, okay. I know where this is going. So, uh, <laughs> I said, I said, man, I said, I've got room. And I said, but at my place, said, we're going to have to pull some trees. Yeah. And we're going to have to make a, a runway and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I said, you might talk to Tyler. I was like, because he's got some hillsides we could kind of incorporate, and in, we wouldn't have to move quite so much dirt. Right. So we got a hold of Tyler, and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, man, come on. And they were actually having a nitro show in Nashville. Uh -huh. So we kind of planned it around that. That way everyone's already there. Yeah. And so we built a built a takeoff ramp, and it was jumping down a big, long downhill. You know, it, like the perfect setup. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of our first stunt with like a Razor 1000. How long was it? I mean, it was 100 foot just to the downhill. Um, which <laughs> that's so long. Which is a long ways. Yeah. But in turn, if you 
you know, there's motocross tracks, 120 foot jumps on them, but it's jumping up a hill. It's all incorporated yeah. into the land. So right. If it's if it's built within the terrain, right, it doesn't seem that big. Okay. But if I was to put a ramp right here and go 100 feet out flat. and build a landing, yeah, you're like no way. Yeah, that's absolutely. way too far. Absolutely. So okay. you know, it's all a visual thing. Okay. Um, so we laid it out and. Uh, Travis hit it a few times on a bike. We had a radar gun set up. Yeah. And um, he's like, all right, you know, we need to go, you know, roughly this fast. That fence is in the way. <laughs> so they pulled the fence out of the way. <laughs> Start on the neighbor's property. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, like, we couldn't go fast enough. Yeah. Uh, and Tyler was supposed to jump it. And after he watched Travis try it like once or twice, he's like, no, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. He's like, I'm all about it. But yeah. he's like, that's just, he said, that, that, that skill level is might be a little bit more than what I really want to handle right now. Yeah, that's a big jump. So, you know, uh, we tried it, and it went okay. We weren't able to set no record, but mm-hmm. we flew 120 feet or something like that. And uh, So who was driving it? Travis was driving Travis it. Travis drove it, okay. Um, and they even came to me, and they're like, well, here, are you just jumping? I was like, I just made y'all pay me to run a dozer and be able to jump. Yeah. Like, you ain't paying me to do that. I'm sorry. Man, I'm not sure. And not, and not like yeah. I'm scared. It's just like, yeah. I was like, you're wanting me to focus on all these other things and do this? Yeah. I mean, you got to prepare way. yourself for something like that. I mean, I mean within reasons. Size. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, I mean, even if I was just to follow him on a bike, mm-hmm. hit it on a bike, I'd instantly feel better because, sure. all right, you know, I, I have a feeling of the You're speed. comfortable. Yeah. So, whatever. That was a kind of initial first thing with Razor 1000s. Yeah. And then when we were doing the action figures, the first video, mm-hmm. we built a bunch of different things around his house. Mm-hmm. And we did, we had like a rhythm section built that I had built for yeah. Razors. And like I would drive one, Travis would drive one, and we'd chase each other through it. Yeah. And then we had like some over and under jumps built where one was going under while it was, yeah. you know, we built all kind of cool things. And I mean, I spent a lot of time fixing these things. Like, yeah, I we believe would, it. We would point at things and put someone in there that really didn't know what was going on and say, all right, go hit it this fast. Yeah. Oh, they go cartwheeling. Oh, and, Oof. and we, we got to where we fix them pretty fast. Yeah, uh, put really good parts on them. Yeah, and then have breaking points that don't take long to fix. Right, that's the biggest thing. That's you know, a smart way to build them. They have to break. Right, so you need to break the easiest thing it is to fix. You're exactly right. So, you know, that's kind of where it initially started, mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of gone upscale. You know, yeah. Uh, if you're, <laughs> there's a couple people in our group say if you're idling, you're dying. You always need to be progressing. Yeah. And you always need to be challenging to try to go more. Yeah. And, you know, I fully believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe not necessarily every every single day. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, it's hard-pressed to up yourself every single day. Yeah. Like, to up yourself 365 days a year, that's hard. Yeah, you'll end the year at a rough spot, too. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be, be broke. Yeah. And broke out of money. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it, it is to, to set goals yeah. and always kind of progressing and always trying to move up yeah um that's the biggest thing and i i try to do that myself you know with the power sport safety and yeah you know the adventure rides i do and stuff like that and then you know i'm involved with nitro and we're always trying to push the envelope and yeah and just i mean at the end of the day we're we're all just trying to show what's possible certainly and show people you know in general that it's you know there's more possible than what you think there is sure and if we can do that a couple times a year you know that that's the end goal. That's huge. You know Travis's goal for Nitro Circus in general is he wants to hang out with his friends, yeah, and challenge each other mm-hmm. and push each other. You know, past what you're normally comfortable, mm-hmm. and not really have to and kind of make that a job. Yeah, 
you know so that's that's the the goal with him and nitro is just hang out with friends and you know not have to worry about too much you know just challenge each other and that's kind of our jobs and he's, he's done very well he's developed that into Absolutely. where you know there quite a few of us are still part of it sure and some people have kind of branched and done their own thing but they're still part of it mm -hmm. you know jolene does a lot of stunt work for movies and stuff like that she was in batman what uh driving the two-wheel motorcycle thing oh um, yeah yeah that's that was, amazing that was jolene driving that you're talking about like uh dark knight yeah what yeah she was driving the two-wheel thing like quite a few scenes in that movie wow like, that's, that's badass yeah that is the coolest thing and i've heard in a long she, time here recently she did um uh, some chase scenes where she had to jump a dirt bike and wow. you know, i help her lay out a ramp and yeah. do some angles and measurements and i talk with the ramp coordinators and all that kind of stuff on what you know what it is to build yeah and um you know, so she's done that. That's Tommy, amazing. Tommy has he has a big strive to eat. Uh-huh. Uh, barbecue. <laughs> barbecue is his big thing. He loves barbecue. There you go. And he's got with some of the barbecue masters in the country. Wow. And he started his own barbecue uh, spot called Looney Bin Barbecue. Where's it at? Uh, it's in Maryland. Maryland, okay. Um, it's in Crofton, Maryland. Okay. Look up Looney Bin Barbecue. It's amazing. Like his brisket. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I die for some brisket. Oh, man. The brisket, like, it doesn't need sauce. Oh. And if you try that, I mean, you'll go back and smack anybody you can find. It's like, why didn't you make anything this <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah. unreal. Yeah. And then, you know, Special Greg, he went to uh, he went to NASCAR when Travis went to NASCAR. Amazing. On, on the pit crew. For yeah. The, the tire changing. Well, now he is a pit crew coach for Stuart Hoss Racing. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, his age, like, not that he's not fit, his age and quickness, mm -hmm. as we get older, you know, it's just not as keen. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, he's a coach for Stuart Hoss Racing. That's amazing. Um, you know, he was a wheel hanger for numerous years. That's for a lot, of, a lot of big teams and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, those guys make pretty good money. Yes, and a lot do. of the NASCAR, what people don't realize is a lot of the NASCAR speed crews mm -hmm. are made from college athletes that didn't, that didn't go pro. Really? Yes, because so much time is won or lost in just the pits. Absolutely. That they don't need people with mechanical backgrounds. Yeah. They need people with athletic work backgrounds. Yeah. So, you know, you've got football players and basketball players that they know nothing but to work out and be in shape. Yeah, and the dexterity, too. The, the, and they're good with their hands. Exactly. Their hand-eye coordination yeah. is very good. So we can easily teach you how to run an impact gun. Yeah. yeah. Or how to put a tire on. He's Point like, that's easy. Yeah. He's like, the, the teaching, the physical aspect of being in shape and all that kind of stuff, you can't teach that. Absolutely. And that's all these guys have done their whole lives. Yeah. So you roll in, you know, a, a wheel changer, you roll in over 100 grand a year. You know? But it's a tryout process. <laughs> I mean, I tried out for it just for the heck of it yeah. one day. And the coach, you know, we got along great. And he's like, here, you just try running the gun. He's like, let me go ahead and tell you. He said, if you were coming to try out for our team, you would spend a week with that gun just hitting lug nuts with no air on it. Wow. Just so you could hit the pattern and not even look at it. Right. He said, that way it's just, it's part of you. It's yeah. how you move. And, uh. I'll say it's. I mean, it's a lot harder than what it looks. I would by far. I mean, like, yeah, the pressure. I I, I hit them off. You yeah. know, pretty decent. We put them back on. You know, he's a bit of perk. Yeah, it's a perk. And it went all the way around. And I'm like, all right, it's on. He's like, you welded them on. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, it hammered more than one time. And he said, I said, well, they won't come off. He's like, that's good. He said, but it takes that millisecond extra for them to come off next time. Right. So that's that's the thing amazing. Just, consistency and practicing in the field and, yeah you know whatever but you know at the end of the day like nitro we're all still a real tight family yeah 
and everyone, even though they've gone and done different things, we're all still family. So we're all still together. I love that. As far as like holidays and get-togethers and yeah. film shoots and whatever else. I love that. But, love that. you know, <laughs> walking backwards, we got kind of far off track. Yeah. No, long story fine. long is what we say. Yeah. As, uh, that's kind of where the UTBs and the Razors came from. So we yeah. started there, action figures. Then we've, we've developed them into more and more things. Um, Travis loves running Razors. Mm-hmm. More so, just to scare who's ever riding with him. I've been in the, I've been in a razor with a couple of people that scared me to death. And that, Travis Pastrana he, is probably the he top loves of the list. That. Like, I mean, he's one of the best drivers in the world. I would I would agree with you. Numerous time rally champion. Right. So running through the woods flat out, just that's no big deal. Like it's most insane driving. If you've never seen that, you listeners, if you've never seen someone go down in a rally car or watch Travis Pastrana do his rally car through the woods. I don't just, understand how he does it. I don't understand how he sleeps at night. After just go just go on YouTube yeah. and search Travis Pastrana Rally and just watch one of those videos. How, uh, how fast are they go into the woods? It, it just depends. I mean, it depends on the area. Yeah. You know, there's sections that are 100 plus. <laughs> now, these, these are mostly gravel roads. Yeah. Uh, forest roads that they've shut down for the rally. Right. Uh, but still, like 120 miles an hour down a... Even if it's a two-lane gravel road, yeah, 120 miles an hour down a two-lane gravel road, that's not a lot of road to make 120 lot, miles an hour. That's not a lot of mistake area. Yeah, 120 miles an hour down the interstate is is still, you know. That's, 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 that's four lanes wide, so yeah. it doesn't feel as intense as, right. like, going down a hallway at 120 miles an hour. Right, and I'm saying, you know, you could, you could go down the interstate at 120 miles an hour. Sometimes you can feel it, especially if it's a little windy and just, and just thinking about being down a hallway on gravel and this vehicle that yeah. doesn't weigh much more than you know what you've got in it, uh, that's uh, that's like next level scary. Yeah, and he relates the razor a good bit to that, really, uh, because we've got a a loop through the woods. It's probably around a mile, mm-hmm. um, and we can put different sections together. Yeah, uh, but it's pretty fast. Yeah, uh, a couple turns are you know a little off camber, a little rough, and we'll we got a couple jumps. Uh, like doubles and yeah. stuff like that. We've got one jump on the course. Now you don't have to hit this section, but this jump's a hundred feet. Now it's 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 a hill. Yeah, it's a squared off tabletop hill. Yeah, but I mean it's a hundred foot jump on a course. That's and he flies out with people like in the dark. Yeah, oh, uh, no with, way, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, but like he knows the course. Yeah. He knows where he's hitting. So like, I don't care how a, good you are. You know. If we're going around the corner and I see this this tabletop that we're going to hit, and I don't see the other side of the landing. I'm uh, oh, I'm, well, I'm going to have that seat up in my. Up you don't even head. know what it is because it's nothing but looks like a wall. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I <laughs> you don't know it until you're in the air. I wouldn't do too good on that. I don't think. But, no, but he, he very good driver. And, you know that's yeah. it loves doing that in the racers. Yeah. Uh, Jolene and me, we go out and do laps on the course, and you know, of course, we're not. A, is good. You sure? Uh, yeah. she's, I think she's actually a better driver than I am. Wow. Um, yeah. She's smooth and yeah. consistent and just goes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm smooth and consistent, but I'm, I feel I'm pretty reserved. Sure. I kind of save for the long haul yeah. as far as to keep it together for the whole sure. deal. Where a lot of them are a little bit more just, you know, they're focused on that five laps. And outside of that, that's well, that if I made it, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, that's the race mentality right there coming so, out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, Street Bike Tommy, he's good on the razors. We yeah. actually had a little competition. Uh, Travis gave him, he said, I'll do one lap. He said, I'll give you eight hours to match that lap. Wow. 
And, and it ended up being Travis was going to two laps. Yeah. And in his best time, Tommy had to come within five seconds of it. And he would get like a couple grand or something like that. Whoa. So, I mean, like I was full on like pit crew for Tommy for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Like we sent Travis out early. Yeah. Do your lap. Took his time. And so we wrote it down. Yeah. And we were doing it on Periscope live most of the day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, something like that, like filming-wise, all day long, it's kind of long. and yeah, it, There's boring times. Sure. But, you know, I said, all right, there's your lap time. If you come within five seconds of it, yeah. you know, through the day, you know, you'll get this much money. If you beat it, he said, I'll give you free rent for a year. Woo! Because Tommy <laughs> rents a little house next door. Yeah. And Tommy's like, all right. And he's got his his group of buddies that, you know, yeah. he grew up with. and the metal. You know, we're all... You know, there for him, and uh, his very best lap, I think, was six seconds off. I mean, he was there, and when he come when he come off of that lap, yeah, like he was shaking because he was just he was so amped up, yeah. but at the same time nervous. Like yeah. I'm pushing it yeah. more than I've pushed it. You're on the line, and uh, I mean, there's I mean, I had to put a wheel back on a couple times and a couple <laughs> axles and whatever else, and you know that's fine, you know. Yeah. It's all part of it. Right. You know, let it. If he wrecks it, fine. We'll pull another one out right. if we have it, or I'll right. fix it. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like he came ex- extremely close. Mm-hmm. Um, but even he says, you know, that, that was hard to beat. That's crazy. So you ever get tired of fixing stuff? At times, yes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> at times. I'm sure. Uh, when we first got razors around their compound, and, and just in general, uh, we did tear up quite a few things. Absolutely. Um, some of it was we were running. Uh, you know OEM parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is, you know, we, we just kind of abused them. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, sure I've seen videos of how you guys treat those things. So um, we, we learn with time, with with a razor or or really with any UTV, they have weak points built in them from the factory. Right, like the axle is a weak point. Mm-hmm. The belt is a weak point mm-hmm. because if it didn't break and it was something else, it'd probably be a transmission. Then, Absolutely. You know, these parts are much easier to fix and they're a lesser cost absolutely and those are parts that people tend to complain about mm-hmm. say okay would you rather buy a $2,700 transmission yep or a $200 axle so that's something I always like to point out to people who are uh, you know everybody gets a razor and they're like oh what upgrade should I make what should I do this I've heard you know you have to get better axles you have to get stronger this and that and and I always I always put it like this Basically, exactly what you just said. You're pushing the brake further down the line. If you upgrade your axles, it's going to be your differential next. If you upgrade your diff, might be your drive, you know, transmission, your drive shaft. It's going to just push it down into there until ultimately you've rebuilt your entire machine. Yeah, and I mean, like we work at Polaris, you know, pretty closely. Like right. Travis is within marketing and race program, and, and I deal with those guys a good little bit, and, and know a lot of good people there. And know people at other companies too, and all the companies have that same mentality. You, you got to put some weak links in them, because yes, I mean they could build a bulletproof machine from the factory. Sure. It'd be seventy five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it sure. Who's going to buy that? No, I don't know. And I mean, there are people that would buy it. Yeah, you're right. There's people, that but buy not as many people as would buy them right now. I agree. And the, the whole UTV scene blows my mind because you know I didn't really get out, go out and ride UTVs like publicly. And until probably like 2016. Really? 
because we had them for a couple of years at yeah. his house, but they were only his house. Right. We rode our trails, we did our stunts, our jumps, and I had my little 800 here at my place, and I did, you know, I just used it to get around. Right. Well, I had got a razor. Um, I got one through a local dealership that I, you know, a good deal, and I went over to Winrock Park in East Tennessee. Yeah. And it was like a New Year's ride, and I, I knew a couple people that were going, so I just went and met with them, rode around, mm-hmm. and that was my first initial like. Holy cow, look at all these UTVs. They're everywhere. Right. Because I grew up riding Fuller's kind of trails, and you know, we kind of got into racing, so it wasn't really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got out in the public, and I seen that. I said, these things are everywhere. They're everywhere. And they have all kind of accessories. You can make them like a little Jeep. You can cab them in, heat, radios, all this kind of stuff. And that was my, my initial, like, wow, this is yeah. big. And then that's my brain started running, you know, just 100 miles an hour. Like, sure. all right, racing's cool. But I want to do like adventures. I was like, because then anybody can come ride with me. Right. I can invite everybody. Let's go ride. Yeah. And I said, let's just go see what's out there. And I kind of branched it up from them. You know, I went across country in 17 from ocean to ocean. Yeah. uh, Following the Trans-American Trail. And we had a lot of people meet us up on the trail. Like waiting for us. They saw me on tracking. Met us up and and ride with us for a little while. And then go back home. And I had different special guests fly in. Yeah. Ride for a couple days. And then, you know, fly back out. Yeah. Just to show what's out there. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was our kind of entry to UTVs and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we we learned we re- we learned as far as the stunt end mm-hmm. rather quickly, like what breaks, what doesn't break, what we need to right. replace, what we need to leave alone. Right. Uh, I I put some heavy arms on one of them. Well, we bent the frame because the arms wouldn't give. Wow. Well, then I had to replace the whole front frame. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And, you know, we... Luckily, you know, you find the right people and you get, you know, some little helpful discounts, but it's still money out. Right. Uh, I mean, everyone that's watching, listening, whatever, they might think Nitro Circus, it's all free. Well, no, we pay for most stuff. Yeah. Now, we might a... we might get, like, discounts. Sure. But it's just like anybody else getting discounts. You know, you right. just kind of search for it and find it and whatever. So, right. you know, you, you can put too good of stuff on it. Yeah. And then something else is going to give. Yeah, absolutely. Now... Then you kind of back up and look at it. Well, if you're racing mm-hmm. and you have a lot of, if you have a lot into it, mm-hmm. like going to race Baja or mm-hmm. King of Hammer or something like that, well, you can't afford to have a failure. Right. Because you're so deep into it, even at like an entry level person like myself, mm-hmm. you know, you're into it, you know, gas money, entry fee money, you know, you're just, you're into it thousands of dollars. Right. You don't show up to have a break in the first 20 miles. Yeah. And that end the whole day. Correct. So you have to build it tough enough to hold it. Right. But then at the same time, you have to learn to drive it to keep it together. Right. And we, we've learned that. Like, Travis is rolling. I mean, he's never rolled one yet. Really? Yeah. Um, like down a hill or on a track or anything? Well, he only drives it at our place. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, and so he home court advantage. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you really know what you're getting into. It, it, he rode around Brimstone a little bit in one of my racers, following uh-huh. me around to see some of the trails when we were there last May. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he's broke a handful of belts and a handful of axles. And we, we upgrade the axles to Super ATV and, and their line of you know Rhinos and 2.0s yeah. and such as that. We upgrade that just because we know that, we know that the people getting in them it's not going to break everything else. Right. You know, we have a good control of who's going into what. Right. Uh, they're more likely to bit, rip the damn fenders off of it than break yeah. the transmission. Yeah. <laughs> because of our situation. So it's like we're not worried about all that kind of stuff. But like the hill killers and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, 
they break a lot of stuff and it's yes it does take a lot of power yeah. a lot of just make it go yeah but at the same time there is a there is a uh, a balancing point of too much or not enough yeah absolutely um what i'd like to to kind of ask is so you went to brimstone or winrock and you had this experience where you went out in trail road for those who don't know um, brimstone winrock royal blue and some twra land all connect and it's in east tennessee and it is this beautiful what's it 150,000 acres well, I mean, Winrock seventy three thousand, Brimstone's twenty thousand, yeah, and then Royal Blue, which is all TWRA land, and that's probably pushing about sixty. So we're, I mean, you're in that ballpark of just this over, you know, almost two hundred thousand acres. You, in no way to really explore all of this, and I, I mean, you could spend, I feel like, a month out there, never ride the same trail if you rode every single day for eight hours. It's it's absolutely amazing all of the. The features that are out there, um, shout out to Winrock and Brimstone Royal Blue, all of it. Uh, the parks are excellent. If you're in the, the east area, if you're in the southeast, especially Tennessee, um, give these parks a chance. Um, but to get back to what I was talking about, you know, you went there and there's other parks in Tennessee and Alabama and the surrounding states where it's a little bit smaller uh, and they're a little bit more geared towards the hill killing where... Everyone gets around a hill at these big race events, and they watch these guys go up the hill as fast as they can. It's essentially drag racing up a hill in the off-road world. Um, what steered you towards the adventure racing, the long distance hold your machine together, versus hill killing, for you personally? Yeah, I mean, I went to some of the hill killing events. Sure. And stuff's awesome. Absolutely. I mean... It's amazing. I've climbed hills, you know, more so like we've climbed hills like when I grew up you know, four-wheelers and bikes. More so, it was just climbing to get to where we're going. Right. Uh, and sometimes you get in little areas and you can climb a few hills and whoever could climb whatever and all that kind of stuff. That was all fun. Mm -hmm. um, but to, I don't know, to see the hill killing part, like to see the UTV side, yeah, that, that's interesting to me. Absolutely. Um, what's not interesting to me on that aspect is, I mean, you're in the machine for two to three minutes total. Mm -hmm. That's your run. Right. And... If you if you if you break or you get a little crooked and you, you just you're out of time or whatever and you get out that's mm -hmm. fine, but if you do get to you know rolling flipping cartwheeling, it's not just one roll most time. Right. Most time it's numerous rolls and it's ripping parts off. Super violent too. It can be very violent and like you know you're leaving a trail of parts from wherever it started all the yeah. way to the bottom. Absolutely. That doesn't really appease me too much <laughs> I understand. And, in that aspect you have to build like a, a bulletproof machine yeah and even then it's going to get torn to pieces yeah if things don't go right now i'm not saying that things never go right, right. there's tons of great drivers that make it look easy who's the I best mean, driver i don't Hang know on, let's go let's go bouncers <laughs> who's the best bouncer driver out there I, I i can't say who's the best okay but my co-driver for King of the Hammers this year uh -huh. was a guy named Wes King. Oh, yeah. Wes King's and awesome. Wes is an awesome dude. Yeah. Uh, I'm good friends with Timmy Cameron. Yeah. Uh, Timmy, him and Wes are... They're excellent Him, drivers. Wes, and there's a handful of other. I mean, those are the top five guys Absolutely. in the country. Every single time, too. And there's a lot to be said for those kind of guys because, you know, they've put it past just getting your machine ready and going racing and kind of seeing what happens. Sure. They build it. They test it. Um, they really you know, have evolved. They, that's well. That's they, they've taken T 
Timmy and Wes and those, and those guys that do that mm-hmm. have turned it into what NASCAR and motocross is and all that kind of stuff to where you build a machine, you go test it, mm-hmm. and then you run it and you run it, and okay, I don't like this part. You go right. back, you change it, right. and you go out and test it again. Right. And it's a full-time job. 100%. And people don't don't fully realize that, mm-hmm. but like if you want to be as good as these guys, yeah. it is a full-time job. Sure. And then if you're you got to make money also to live on also. Yeah, you do. So, you know, they've they've gone above and beyond and they've made it into a, a job. Yeah. And it pays off at the end. Certainly it does. Because people can say what they want, but those guys, when they get in that machine, they know exactly what it'll do no matter where they point it. No matter what they hit, they know how it's going to react so they know how to correct it. Yep. That's the difference between, you know, people that go just race mm-hmm. and people that go and race to win yeah i agree um, that's agree. the full difference and you know i've heard it for years from travis and all those guys there's there's a certain aspect of like his example is nascar he's like the top 20 guys will be in a five second time frame or less mm-hmm. he's like so out of those 20 you know most of the the public with any kind of racing driving mindset could get pretty close to that top 20 yeah with time yeah a lot of practice whatever yeah. because we all kind of grew up driving cars and all sure, that stuff sure. he's like there's getting into that top 20 that's something you can't really learn yeah I agree. that comes from like early early on and just tons of seat time and tons of just that that brain pathway of how oh, knowing yeah. how to feel the car you know, and everything like that exactly every every action has a reaction mm-hmm. and, and vice versa you know mm-hmm. so you know that's what those guys have done they have taken the the hill climbing hill killing you know as people call it and yeah and turn it into that next level to where if you want to be as good as them you have to make it a full-time job yes you, you do. have to you know build your equipment test it test it test it and you have to test it in different conditions yep. to know how to change it to make it work the very best yeah and and make it work how you want it to work yep you know i i i know personally and many people know that like timmy built a buggy last year mm-hmm. and he builds all his own stuff like he, yeah. he bends every tube does every weld you know he'll bolts it all together and um he went out and raced it a couple of times and wasn't happy with it it yeah. just didn't react the way he pictured it would now that buggy had for those who don't know that buggy had leading arms in the front which is a simply uh essentially it's a four-link system, if I'm not mistaken, where the upper arms are actually uh, what would be trailing arms, where the, the shocks actually mount to those upper links, uh, and the lower links are just standard links. And uh, he runs trailing arms in the back, same system uh, that he does normally. But I remember him watching or watching that, that couple races he did with that. There was an insane amount of articulation, and there was an insane amount of, of dampening. And it looked almost as if uh, the system worked too good the suspension soaked up too much was too responsive and that speaks a lot to the driver's preference exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. it comes down to how do you want your your machine to respond because he also uh, a few years previous he built a um i've I've forgotten the name of it but it was an ifs front uh car and a solid axle in the rear and he raced it i think twice and uh, I, i just remember seeing an interview with him and he said the suspension works too good you know, when I go to hit a hill and I go to hit a rock, uh, you know, I expect it to respond a certain way. I expect the suspension to, to bounce back, and he just didn't feel that way with the car, and he did the same thing he did last year, very similar. 
uh, he turned around and just whipped out a, a brand new chassis and um, ended up with a with a solid axle front and rear car and, and seemed to to do excellent in the series. Yeah, so. and so like at, at the end of the day, it's like whatever the driver or rider prefers, mm-hmm. and and in aspects like that, it's easier to build something you're comfortable with. Yeah, than try to relearn how to drive. Sure, for a new because vehicle. you've you've drove this way or rode this way for x amount of years mm-hmm. to totally relearn it's not to say that they can't do it they could mm-hmm. if they got enough time mm-hmm. but once a series has already started and you're committed to it and you got so much money into it and you know you, you might have companies you know kind of yeah wanting you to be there um you do whatever it takes to make it work out absolutely and so in that aspect you know you know, those guys are perfectly capable. Like, well, it's not working. Yeah. We'll just clear the board and we'll start over. That's amazing. And it, it happens on Supercross. Yeah. Um, you know, the bikes that you see riders ride, it looks like the same bike you can buy on the showroom floor. Mm-hmm. And that's how it starts. It starts right. as that same bike. Right. But the teams have so, many, so much capabilities of, I mean, suspension is one thing mm-hmm. to, to make it stiffer, slower, faster, you know, softer, whatever, you know. That's one thing they can change. Mm-hmm. That it's relatively simple to change. It's just tons of different settings. Right. But they have tons of different motor packages that can you know make the power mellow and come on hard, or, or the other way around. You know they can change the power curve, um, and they can they'll have like fifteen twenty different ignition settings, <laughs> I mean different fuel injection settings. Yeah. You know they have tons of different packages. Yeah. So if they've got like if you go like motor ignition fuel injection and suspension and yeah. each each section has like 20 different packages mm-hmm. well i mean you've got 120 different packages there that you can mix and match and make the rider as comfortable as he possibly can because at the end of the day you want the com- the rider or driver the most comfortable to where they don't have to think about nothing but going right if they have to think about uh, this, it, it's steering a little funny or it's doing this mm-hmm. that's taking away from the thought process of just getting to the front absolutely so at the end of the day that's what all that testing is doing is mm-hmm. that testing is taking all the thought out of it okay to where they just hop in and they just say i need to get up there right right and i'm just going to make a path up there and that's just it just send it to the top and so yeah that's what it takes and yeah. it's it's a job nowadays yeah absolutely. It, it's no longer just hop in and go <laughs> yeah yeah and that's something that, that, that i've noticed over um being a, a rock bouncing fan for the last few years is how uh, once these rigs and once the industry started to change, it changed so fast. It went from a couple guys out there riding, just seeing who could make it up a hill, to now it's a full-fledged uh, organization that has huge prize money and everything like that. But um, anyways, back to get back to, get back to you, um, you chose the adventure route, the long distance, the long, uh, the long race style. Um, you said that started at Brimstone, um, you know, when did you realize, obviously you had you, your big redneck adventure where you guys went across the nation. Um, what did what was going through your mind when you thought to yourself, I'm going to take a side-by-side across the country? Well, it, the initial start of that was I was at Winrock, and I met a local guy there yeah. that, you know, me and a group were following him. And he's from Wartburg area up there right in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Super good guy. And... He used to love to go caving, mm-hmm. and he was he was telling us how all the land was built and how the coal mines and all that kind of stuff. And just a very very interesting guy. Yeah, uh, tons of knowledge and just super good guy. Um, and so he got to telling us, and then he was saying something about him and a buddy of his. They 
they rode uh, dual sport bikes cross country. Yeah. And you you think like just roads, whatever. He said, no, we follow the Trans American Trail. I was like, oh, what is that? He's like, well, it's it's trails and, and back roads and county roads across the country. Yeah. He said it starts on the North Carolina, Tennessee state line and it ends on the coast of Oregon. And it, it's not a direct route, it's just a back roads way across the country. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, that sounds awesome. He said, yeah, we did it in about two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, that was on motorcycles. Okay, all right. Because dual sport, you know, just like motorcycles, I mean, they'll run yeah. 100, 100 plus. Yeah. Uh, That's quick. Especially if you get on, you know, if you get on like a highway or something, you can yeah. zip on pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, he got telling me about it. And he said, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And he said, we, we got there. We were just going to rent a U-Haul, put them in the back, and just drive them back. And he said, we got there, and we just turned around and rode back. Wow. But we rode back interstates. I was like, right. oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And uh, I was super interested in it. So, and that following weekend, I had flew out to Vegas for uh, uh, the SEMA show. Okay. To go yeah. meet some friends and go yeah. just see it. I've never seen it before. Yeah, absolutely. And I got my one of my best friends, uh, Josh, lives out there. He's from my hometown here, mm-hmm. but he, he lives and works out there. And uh, I got telling him about it. I was man, you know, this trail. And I was, I was looking up all kind of information on it. Yeah. And uh, I said, we should do this. I yeah. said, we should get some dual sports and do this. And he said, man, I'd be in. He said, you know, my off season is, you know, roughly October to January. Mm-hmm. It's and not a good time to ride. I was like, yeah, that's not <laughs> ideal, man. I was like, you know, we. I was like, from the research I've done, we need to be like in summer. Yeah. You know, maybe end of September, and that's about it. Yeah. Because when we're going through the Rockies and in Colorado, that's the hard part. Yeah. Uh, you know, weather changes like at the snap of fingers yeah, and absolutely. snow. Whoa. He's like, well, I, I won't be able to do that. And I was like, ah, I said, we can work it out. And I said, right. I'll keep looking into it. Well, then I, I just, I just had this thought of like, all right. I was like, I wonder if anybody's done it on a UTV. Yeah. And I looked it up, and I saw, initially I didn't see anybody that did it on a UTV. Right. And then I saw, I found a post of a guy that did it. Uh-huh. And they did it on 900s. And I got to looking into it more and more and more, and I found out it's a guy named Johnny Angle. Okay. He owns UTV Inc. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Out in Arizona. Yeah, great. And, uh... You know, being involved with Polaris and and the race program with Travis and all that kind of stuff, I uh, I kind of did some feeling around and I reached out and I got Johnny's number. Yeah. And I called him and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm interested in that trail. You know, y'all did that. And, yeah. You know, I, I just I had kind of a little list of questions and he uh he 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 told me a little bit and then I lost the call and I was like, "Well, crap!" And I tried calling back and it it didn't work out and. Uh, you know, I had lost service. I was over in the mountains. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, you know, I, he, he told me kind of the basic rundown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he said they did get pulled over. They got tickets, you know, we, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, that, that, that sounds like a bummer. But at the same time, oh, well. Risk reward right yeah. there. Oh, well. So yeah. I got to looking into it and I uh, went to transamtrail.com mm-hmm. and uh, I looked that's where the, they got the maps from so mm-hmm. i bought every map that guy had yeah gps files paper maps i bought all of it yeah so i could s- sit down and study it and i looked at it and i was like well i'm only going to do it if i can go ocean to ocean mm-hmm. because that's truly not cross country you're missing a right. whole state there right and they just followed what was routed right so um i reached out to lead nav mm-hmm. the gps that i use mm-hmm. and uh the guy at lead nav awesome awesome guy former Former military operator guy. Okay. They used to do a lot of mission planning. Yeah. So that's where it, the, right the, the GPS yeah. background comes from. That's cool. Um, 
So I reached out to him, and he was more than helpful. He's like, yeah, you know, get the file, get me the file so I can, uh, you know, kind of help you with the, the imagery. Mm-hmm. That way you'll have a background even though you don't have service. Right. And um, so I did that, and then I started tracing the line from the start point mm-hmm. to the South Carolina coast. Yeah. You know, just zooming in, following back roads right. and you know, looking up trail systems and, you know, kind of going back and forth between a couple of different devices. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a, within a month, now this is months later, yeah. but within a month I had a full track all the way across the whole country. Yeah. And then I reached out to Polaris and I said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't, no one's ever done it outside of Johnny. Uh, so we're not taking that from him. I said, but we're going to go ocean ocean. Yeah. And I think they had a little bit of question on like, well, you know, that, that sounds pretty neat, but yeah. you know, I don't know. They don't want to push things being on the road because right. they're not road legal. Right. And all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I understand that. So we were able to get some machines at parts at, at a good price. Yeah. And we kind of, we we went with there, uh, saved some money. I sold some things. Yeah. You know, I basically cleared the shop out, sold yeah, you everything. Got, you got to do what you got to do. Just to make this happen. Yeah. And, uh. You know, we put together, we reached out to uh, Pleasant Cook for before Barbie and got mm-hmm. her involved. And she's got a good social following that kind of helps reach more people. And right. We ended up putting it all together. And then Johnny called me back like two months later. Yeah. And he told me the last couple of pieces to the story. Yeah. And I told him this is what I'm doing. He said, well, good luck to you. He's like, I hope it goes well, but I hope you don't make it. Yeah. He said, I hope you go less miles than me. Yeah, <laughs> like, I understand that. I said, okay, yeah. I get that. I get that. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Yeah. And, uh. So uh, we put it all together and we took off towards South Carolina and we started on the ocean, like on the beach. Yeah. Uh, I asked a local power sports rep if he could just track this road and tell me where it starts. Mm-hmm. You know, because I said by a satellite imagery, it should start on the ocean. Right. And uh, he got to the end of the road and he said UTV tours ahead. Went and talked to those people. Those people own the last 4,000 acres of South Carolina. So they border wow. North Carolina. Yeah. And they own three and a half miles of beach. Wow. He's like, yeah, come on. He said, we'll start you right on the beach. That's amazing. So it, it, it all just kind of panned out. Yeah. And, you know, using resources that we had and, yeah. you know, reaching out to people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We we took off and in 29 days, we were on the coast of Oregon. That's amazing. 5,000 miles in 29 days. 5,000 miles. Uh, there were some sections that we had to, we had a straight line. Sure. Because following the route and the map. Uh, there's a lot of horseshoe sections that would mm-hmm. go down the mountain, basically around the mountain. Yeah. You know, cool overviews, and it would come back up. Or yeah. we would just, we straight line some of those horseshoes just yeah. to, to keep on track. Because mm-hmm. I put out a schedule that, you know, people were flying in, and we couldn't, we could never fall behind. Yeah, but so you can't be late. Um, so we we straight lined some sections. If we wouldn't have straight lined anything, uh-huh. if we would have tracked it out every single mile, we would have went over 6,500 miles. Um and that, it probably would have actually took an extra three or four days. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we still did it. I'd love to do it again. Okay. Um, it just, it's all on planning. Yeah. It's all on, we did it fully self-sufficient. Like, That's amazing. When they dropped us off with the trailers, yeah. we didn't see a trailer again until Orban. Like, we carried our own food, yeah. our own clothes, our own tools. Yeah. Um, so there's... Uh, I've posted about it a couple of times, and yeah. some of those posts have really caught a lot of traction. People love it, and they love yeah. the idea. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, we ought to do it. We ought to do it. And they start wanting all this, oh, you know, I need all this info. And I'm like, right. I didn't have the info. Right. Because I just started researching. Yeah. And I said, this is where you buy the map. Yeah. 
you know, I just edited it to what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is, you know, certain states you can tag UTVs. Or Tennessee, you can tag them. Right. But the tag is only good for county roads. Right. Luckily, the trail is mostly county roads and stuff like that. You okay. might have to cross a highway, but sure. that, that's okay. Yeah. But some states like Oklahoma, they don't tag them. Mississippi, they don't tag them. Yeah. And... Now, you guys went through there? We went through all the states. Okay. All the states that we had to. Yeah. And, you know, we have turn signal kits, and so we're street legal. Sure. Technically, by our tag mm -hmm. and by that state, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean every state's going to honor it. Right. It goes down to per state whether they want to honor it, per county, and even per town wow. to whether they want to honor your tags or not. Wow. I got pulled over. Yeah. I got tickets. Wow. You know, I got pushed off route pretty bad. Yeah. Um, just because they wouldn't let us keep going. We had to find other ways around. Yeah. Stuff like that. But, I mean, we still made it. Right. It's not an easy route. But I will say that, you know, we saw places in the country that no one sees. Yeah. Except for those that live there. Yeah. And I'm talking like no one's out there. Yeah. You know, that that's pretty unreal. Yeah, you know, that's When you come across a mountain range and like looking at GPS, I could tell where we're going to be. Mm -hmm. A few hours later, we're on another mountain range. And I said, yeah, look, we started over there. All the way across as far as you can see on top of that mountain. That's amazing. You know. Yeah. And that's really neat. Yeah. Like the first day or two, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. By like the fifth or sixth day, you go up on a mountain like, damn, we got to go all the way over there. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a long ass way. Yeah. yeah. I, was it, like, I was like, don't worry. We'll be there in two or three hours. Do you ever, do you ever get, uh, do you ever get scared when it's just you guys out there? I mean, no. Not ever, really. Anything ever like that set in for you where you're like. Uh, you know, I mean, did y'all have cell phones with GPS cell phones? I mean, we have, a, we had our phones. Okay. Uh, we had satellite tracking. Yep. Uh, through lead nav. Okay. And with the satellite tracking, like I could send text out if okay. I need to. Okay. Uh, kind of like a, a last ditch thing. Right. Right. Um, and a lot of but I mean, you know, it's surprisingly enough, like there's way more cell service on that trail than what I thought there were. Really? Like I was running like full live videos in places where we ain't seen nothing for a long time. I saw a live video of you guys, and y'all were in the middle of what looked like the desert, but it looked like it was just like uh, old crop fields, and, and there was nothing for miles. And it's just you saying, hey, just checking in. And, yeah. I, and it's one of those things, next thing I'd see is you got a banana peel behind somebody's Oh, tire. yeah, we're trying to, <laughs> trying to set up some traps. That's good. But, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I guess out of safety's sake, some people yeah. would might want to carry a sap phone or something yeah. like that. We had the satellite tracking, and we could send out text if need be. Sure. Uh, so it worked out. I mean, we were never full days without service. We yeah. always had service sometime during yeah. the day. We stayed in hotels every single night. Right, right. Um, um, so like my mom, she was she just loves to help. She just wants to be part of it. Yeah. So I gave her my iPad with all the maps on it. And I yeah. said, I need you to compare this map to the paper map uh -huh. and put every mile marker on it. Yeah. Because the trail line will come across, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have all the markers. Right. So she put all the markers. She was researching on her computer mm -hmm. of end of each day, there'd be a point, And at that point, there'd be a hotel and a number. Everything was on the screen. So yeah. also I had to zoom in. There's a phone number. Just call them. That's amazing. We'll be there tonight. Now, that's on your lead nav? That's all through lead nav. Lead nav sounds excellent. Well, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great program. Yeah. There is a pretty steep learning curve to sure. it. And he he offers uh, classes. Okay. Um, no problem whatsoever. Yeah. He's he loves the off road. Yeah. Uh, he's really focused towards the mission planning and the military and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it's it's all the same idea. Mm -hmm. um, 
the thing with LeadNav, like it's it's just a app to run what you have. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a map file right. to put into it. Right. And then you need to know how to drop markers and pins and, sure. and change routes and stuff like that. Sure. And that stuff's not crazy hard, but there is a subscription to make it better and okay. make it easier. Yeah, sure. Um, so it, it, it works very, very well. Okay. I went across country on it. And, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's another app company that's selling tablets with preloaded maps and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. It's a lot of the trail systems we ride. And it, I mean, it, it's a great consumer version. Yeah. But it won't do everything this will do. Yeah. As far as like where I can just start making lines and changing things. Yeah. Um, it's kind of locked in. It's more of a consumer friendly yeah. uh, one. And I've talked to that guy about using his stuff a little bit, and uh, but they refuse to work on Apple products. Oh, okay. And coming from LeadNav is only Apple. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've talked to the owner of LeadNav a little bit. I was like, you know, what about you know the, the Samsung and the Android? He's like, well, he said that. He said, this stuff works. He said, but there's so many different versions yeah. that, you know, it can be hit or miss. Yeah, so I'm, I actually... Where Apple, everything is always the same. Exactly. The running system itself. Exactly, yeah. I actually, uh, I'm a software engineer by day, so all of that makes sense. And anyone listening out there, iPhone is definitely better all the way around. Yeah, so that's, when I talked to that other guy, I was like, you know, let me buy all your maps. Yeah. I'll pay for all of them. Yeah. And I said, let me put them on my iPad. Oh, we don't mess with iPad. I was like, mm -hmm. why not? Well, we don't think it's as good. I was like, all right, well, that's fine. Let me just buy the files. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's a such and such file. I was like, all right, well, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I'll just convert it back. Right. Let me buy it. Okay. Well, I need it in a GPX file. Yeah. Oh, well, it, our files aren't like that, but they start like that. Okay, right. well, let me buy that. Okay. I was like, I need to load it on my iPad. Oh, yeah. we don't do that. We went around in circles like four times. I said, you know what, man? man. Never mind. It'll yeah. be all right. I'll just go ride the trails and track them myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, I mean, Polaris Ride Command, yeah. that's, a, that's another great app for GPS. Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff is kind of already in it, mm -hmm. and it's very consumer-friendly where you can just go up and menu. You can save per state for offline use. Right. So you have that on your background whether you have signal or not. Amazing. And it's a very good, friendly, you know, consumer-friendly thing. And that's not a plug towards anybody. Sure. It's just... The, one, the ones I've used, uh, if if I don't have the files for lead now, mm -hmm. I'll use Ride Command just because it, it already has a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it has capabilities of tracking and dropping pins and stuff like that, but not the capabilities of this. Sure. Um, so it, it goes both ways. But, okay. You know, that's kind of our, our adventure and where it's gone and, yeah. and the kind of push from the beginning to the end. Yeah, that's amazing. And, uh, it, it was it was a learning curve. Sure, a big learning curve. Like it's a lot of technology to be riding around with too. Well, that and it was the whole trip was a learning curve. Sure, because I mean, I'm not the most easy person to work around when it comes to work. Sure, because I I just want stuff done. I agree, and I only act like that because people push towards me like that when right. they expect me to do something. Just do it. Right. Just get it done now. Yeah. And I kind of pushed on the people on my crew like that a little bit. Yeah. A few times a little bit too hard. Sure. Um, We're humans. It I happens. Mean, you know, I'm, I make mistakes and sure. I, I learned a little bit more about management and stuff like that. You yeah. Because there was days that like no one would talk to me. Yeah. And it was like me and three people. <laughs> and um, <laughs> like they wouldn't tribe. talk to me. And I was like, yeah. I'd be like, what's wrong? Yeah. What's up with y'all? Well, you know, you said this and this and this. And I'm like, that's what's bothering you? Yeah. Well, my bad. I'm sorry. It's yeah. all on me. Yeah. I was like, it's my fault. Yeah. You know, this is, 
as soon as I took blame, yeah. everyone was happy as yeah, could be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you know what, it'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I had to keep people in check. I'm like, like yeah. I let, you know, I let 404 Barbie lead like day four. Yeah. Out through the mountains. And I was like, you got GPS too, just lead for a while. Well, she took off. Yeah. And like, she wasn't just flat out flying. Right. But to be on mountainside right. gravel roads. You got to be careful. I was like, you know, you, you need to be pretty calm. Yeah. And... I got a drink and put the cooler back up and my helmet on and got my gear on and I took off and it took me like 45 minutes to catch them. Wow. Of me driving fairly quick. Yeah. And they got to a split in the road. They didn't know where to go and I pulled up and, you know, I, I probably said a little bit too much. Sure. You know, just in a mean way. Sure. And I was like, you need to back up, you know, because, you know, you're going to fly off this mountain. I said, you're going to get hurt. And yeah. I said, you get the camera guy hurt. I said, then I got to find two more people and I got to find another razor. I said, because we're already committed to this, you know, you need to back yeah. the hell down. I said, yeah. you know, and she didn't talk to me for like three days after that. Yeah. And it was, it was my fault. Totally my fault. Because sure. I said stuff a little bit too abrasive. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we had a lot riding on it. It yeah. has to work. There's yeah. no choice in it not working. Absolutely. And she understood. Yeah. It was just, it, it was kind of an eye opener. But this isn't just a fun joy ride. This yeah. is kind of like a little. It's business. It's a. Yeah, an educational business try yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and there's, some, it, there's something too. Whenever you're uh, out there and it's and you know you've got a schedule, but not only are you working towards a schedule where other people are relying on you, but you really are riding on the side of these mountains. Anyone that's been you know razor riding on these trails will understand that sometimes you know a little bit of traction on a gravel road may mean the difference between you staying on the trail and you falling hundreds of feet down off the side of a mountain. And if driving five or ten more miles an hour is the difference, just err yeah. on the right side of safety. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, it, it all worked out, and yeah. we're all still good Absolutely. friends. Absolutely. And uh, she understood. Sure. I didn't have to explain myself whatsoever. Yeah. Um, we had another girl, Shana Lester, came with. Yeah. As an assistant, and they, you know, they become good buddies. And yeah, for sure. I had a camera guy to help me and stuff like that. So, you know. We had a good communication. Sure. It was just, I could say things a little bit differently. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, like, I was never talked talk to very softly, I sure. guess you would say. It was always pretty just straight to the point. Yeah. So that's where I took it. And yeah. Luckily, you know, you always know where you stand. Sure. You know if you're in the good or in the bad. That's right. And when they're in the good, they knew it. And when right. they were in the bad, they knew it. Right. You know, it was, yeah. it's point blank. There's no guessing. Yeah, there's a lot um, of, I think that's something that we run into a lot in today's society anyways is, uh a lot of ambiguity and you never know where you stand with some people and you know uh, I think that that's really respectable to know exactly how someone feels about you and just to handle the matter then and there and uh, let it known that you know that's it yeah yeah I mean you just point blank sure. all right you know we messed up we're done move on absolutely you know we don't need to dwell on things we don't need to rebring it up it's yeah. just it's gone it's done you can't get it back yeah so you move forward yeah and uh, that's the biggest thing we're, the whole trip we're always moving forward and then you know, we here we are today. We're uh, we're always still moving forward. I'm mean, yeah. I'm working on power sport safety with with kids and adults. Yes, to get people out riding and riding safe. Mm -hmm. You know, just get people out to ride, and then the initial start in a safe way. Uh, we do some racing here and there. Yeah, uh, looking into doing some more adventures. Yeah, uh, adventures kind of within established events. Sure. Um, that way we're already kind of within a crowd. Sure. And just kind of show what we got going on and get people more and more involved and yeah. people having fun uh that's 
kind of where we're going with everything so far. Yeah. And we just got back from King of the Hammers about two weeks ago. Let's talk about it. Uh. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So before we talk about actual King of Hammers, uh, I want to talk about um, kind of the rigs you've had and the rigs that you've gotten race. So um, anyone that follows you on social media knows that uh, you have had some of the most uh, unique and uh, really impressive rigs built for you. Uh, it's funny. Actually, last year I was working in a retail store, and I got a chance to uh, – stream king of the hammers and i actually videotaped you coming down back door and i just remember thinking to myself man that's got to be just a, a crazy experience and you know how does someone get there but before we go there let's talk about the rigs that you have um something i want to i want to bring up is uh you have raced in a bunch of different organizations uh a bunch of different races uh the first one i wanted to talk about was uh, you did terracross racing, right? Yeah, that so, was my initial start in UTV racing. Yeah, so tell what you know for those who aren't familiar, um, what is the actual terracross? Is it short course, long course? What are we looking at? Uh, I mean, so so terracross was uh, it is no more. It, it got dissolved out. Okay, uh, and then it got bought out. And it might be bring they may bring it back later. I don't know. Sure, but terracross it went on for years. Uh, it was. It was more kind of based around TV. Mm-hmm. It was filmed. Okay. And it was on, you know, TV. They had a, a section block, whether it was NBC Sports or, yeah. you know, Fuel or whatever the different stations were mm-hmm. at the time. Um, they were, Terracross races were built within established events, mm-hmm. like Heydays in Minnesota. Okay. Huge snowmobile swap meet, basically. Right, yeah. But it's off-road snowmobile swap meet is what it is. Sure. So heydays they they bring in about between thirty and fifty thousand people. Yeah. In a weekend. Yeah. Uh, like I say, it's it's a big swap meet. They'll have like a little concert. They have a little bit of everything, and uh, they would put in terracross within that event. Mm-hmm. And I helped build the course a couple times when I was racing it. Mm-hmm. And that course, like I say, was a little more built for TV. You know, it was sure. kind of rough and tough logs, rocks, mm-hmm. uh, kind of kicky little jumps. You know. Uh, it w- that racing was all about keeping the machine together. Okay. Because carnage is what makes good TV. Absolutely. So therefore, is. we built the course to make carnage. Yeah. So the smarter drivers usually did better, and then okay. there's a lot of drivers that just had that wing it and make yeah. it happen. Those are the ones that yeah. made the good TV. There so, you go. Uh, that's kind of what Terracross was. Sure. And um, it, I did that for that was my first UTV race ever. Okay. And. Um, Tell me about the. Tell me about your. So you raced a one thousand XP. Yeah, well, we raced one thousand. That was before the turbos come out. So this is before the turbos. What was uh, you know, was it a stock chassis? Yes. Yeah, so Terracross was. They were stock machines. Okay. So Terracross was laid out to where. You, you paid so much per race, mm-hmm. and everything was provided. Okay. To whether you paid it or you had a partnering company pay it so they can be on the side of the car or sure. whatever, kind of like NASCAR racing. Or right, whatever. absolutely. So everything was provided. Mm-hmm. So you just had to get there, your hotel, your food, stuff like that. But they provided you a machine. Wow. There was mechanics there. There That's was parts really cool. there. But anything you broke, you had to pay for also. Uh, so you're not paying for the mechanics, right. but you had to pay for axles right. or you know a wheel or whatever. You know, And it was all on discounted. Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad, though. It, it wasn't in, incredibly bad, sure. but at the same time, you're all racing stock machines, which are great, Yeah. but they have their weak points, like we said earlier. Absolutely. So you have to be conscious of that, okay. because there's many people that would break out right away, because they come <laughs> from UTVs that were built stronger. Yeah, you just step um, in the gas and burn your belt up right so off the gate. Yeah, so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun, Yeah. 
and it was fun because it was kind of like a spec racing. You know, everything, everybody's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that was different was your stickers. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You know, I I won a championship in that in seventeen. Uh, Jolene did very well in it. Okay. Um, I guess we were the only two out of Nitro that actually got to go and do it. Uh, everyone else was just swamped and busy, and yeah. and it is what it is. But that was my initial start in Terracross. Okay. Um, so my next question is. Uh, and you can be a little bit more specific. It's the machine uh, for Action Figures 2. Um, what race did you race this in? It's the 4525 machine. So that is a two-seat turbo racer. Okay, this and is a two-seat turbo. That's, it, that's sitting in my shop here. Okay. Uh, I initially built that for, you know, kind of whatever type of racing. And last year, like, I raced some woods races in mm-hmm. it a little bit. It's 2018? Uh, no, like 17 and 16. Okay, 17, 16. So like very end of 16, 17. So we kind of built that around racing with mm-hmm. wide open designs, built a chromoly cage, we yeah. pulled the radiator to the back, you know, yeah. put super ATV, you know, heavier arms, yeah. uh, stronger axles, you know, we put a lot, you know, we have Sandcraft drive shaft, yeah. their steering brace, a lot of stronger things that, mm-hmm. that thing, all the stuff that kind of guarantee that gets you to the end. As long as you're just not, not cartwheeling off the side of yeah. the mountain, yeah. so, <laughs> it should be fine. And also, all of these pictures can be on be seen on Hubert's Instagram, or if you do any kind of research on Google, uh, you can find all the rigs that we're going to talk about. Um, so this is one of those rigs that you made that you know you upgraded one thing, and you told yourself, "I've got to make it to the end." So this is a rig that is completely built. Yeah, we 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 built everything in this one. You know, it's all bolt-on stuff. Okay, I mean, you can buy any of the stuff that I have. Yeah. From the same companies, like okay. say Super ATV is is all the arms yeah. and the axles, a wide open design, their cage. Uh, we do have a custom radiator pushed to the back just to yeah. keep it out of dirt, but it's all just bolt on stuff. Um, Sandcraft drive shaft and uh, steering brace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have better parts through Sandcraft in the front diff. You know, a, a mm-hmm. lot of better things. Yeah, and. It, it just makes it where you can drive a little bit harder and you sure. and you know it's not going to fail. Yeah. Uh, but there still is a, a balance of driving it too hard. Yeah. Uh, and it's not because of part failure. It's just there's a difference between abuse right. and driving it hard. Yes. You know, so yeah. you, know, you can run into a wall wide open and, of course, it's going to break. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can maneuver around or over that wall and be there just as fast. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, so something I'm looking at is uh, what, uh, what kind of tires do you run on here? So the tires we run right now are a company called System 3. Okay. Uh, they're a, a newer tire company. They've only been out for a year. Wheels and tires through System 3. Okay. And they are through Dragonfire. Yeah. Or Tucker. Okay. I had uh, Dragonfire uh, harnesses in my buggy yeah, for a long time. Yeah, I run time. Dragonfire uh, harnesses and seats and steering wheels. Uh, I run their stuff. Uh, Dragonfire has actually got... got they, they're rated one of the most comfortable seats you can buy. Yeah. Uh, that makes that makes perfect yeah. sense for yeah. riding a long distance. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, I uh, I had I had some seats from a brand that I won't name in my in my uh, I had a Rock Bouncer Razor uh, for a while, and they were some metal frame seats with a, basically like leather slip on with a little bit of padding. You want to talk about uncomfortable, man? I'd get in there and we'd do long distance riding, and it'd be eight hours in that thing, and I'd get out and feel like I have a broken back. So yeah. uh, that's one investment. If you if you haven't already made that investment, a good set of seats, and and, and what we're going to talk about next is the best investment. And that uh, that next topic is suspension. I see you've got. Uh, it looks like a complete rebuild kit on that unit. Um, talk about your shocks, your springs, oh, things so, like that. 
So we we run full fork shocks. Full fork um, shocks. So what's the difference between uh, full fork shocks versus what comes on, say, uh, the 1000s come with Walker Evans and uh, the, the turbos come with fork shocks um, outside of the dynamics, um, you know, those, those silver turbo shocks. Uh, what's the difference? So... We deal with Fox like directly, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, you know, slightly discounted, whatever. Uh, I deal with Fox as far as like, you can take a stock shock and make it act like these, mm-hmm. but it's just having to do a lot of work to the internals of it. Right, right. And I let them do it. Like I can rebuild shocks sure. and do valve shim stacks and all that kind of stuff if I have, if I have a spec sheet right. on what to put in it. Right. Uh, but. You know, it's sometimes it's better to let people that know what they're doing do it. Hey, there's something to be said for so, that. So, like, on most of my machines, we run the Fox RC2 shocks, mm-hmm. which is... Those are excellent shocks. That that shock is, it's it's a conventional style shock. It's got a, a valve in it with a shim stack, and that's it. Yeah. And it, the oil pushes through the valves, the valve stack with different stages, and mm-hmm. it gets stiffer in different stages, and it reacts differently. Of course, we run the proper spring rates right. according to what the machine weighs. Right. That's a huge thing that I hear people talk about is, you know, uh, one to upgrade their springs. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem that there's a, a one-size-fits-all. The the ride from Polaris right out of the gate, it's not it's, – it's, it's pretty good uh, yeah. on a stock yeah. machine. It's, it's pretty good. Um, but being able to, you know, talk with a, with a shock provider – and say, hey, I run this on the front end, I've got a huge winch, or I like to carry a full-size spare and all my tools in the back. Those factors make a gigantic difference in the ride of your vehicle. Uh, and, and getting with a reputable shock manufacturer, spring manufacturer, um, that conversation, if you guys are looking for that information, that conversation should be had of what are the attachments I run, and uh, a lot of those companies out there will, will give you the exact spring package you need uh, and based on what type of riding you do as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tell people that on, on the daily. Right. I mean, people, you know, a large percentage will happily spend money on bling. Yeah. Sound bars, yeah. light bars. Might you need know, some rock the, lights. The cool, <laughs> the cool looking stuff. You right. Know, the damn $300 Yeti. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. But when you'll say, well, why don't you spend some money on springs? And they look at you like, kind of say, well, it's got springs on it. Well, yes, it does. I said, but, you know... What I what I've what I've been telling people numerous times over the years is a Polaris razor or a Can Am or any machine mm-hmm. they're designed with the springs on them as they come from the factory right. as a machine is right. So if you add a roof, a light bar, a sound bar, uh, even harnesses, mm-hmm. uh, seats, right. a toolbox, you know that's all weight outside of what was calculated on that. Sp- that spring package mm-hmm. from factory. Mm-hmm. So a machine is designed for as it comes right. with 200 pound, 180 pound riders. That's what that machine is designed for from the factory. Right. So anything over that, whether it's five pounds or 200 pounds, yeah. it, you're, you're changing the reaction from the springs and yep. you're changing the spring rate. So, yep. you know, when we order in shocks or when we send in shocks or when we, order a spring package or whatever we know what the machine weighs right because the calculation of the fuel and the person that's kind of irrelevant that's kind of a given right um but we we always know uh, what the machine's going to weigh and we'll tell them that and they can give us the proper spring package for that weight of a machine and so we will get the spring package 
and then we'll like we run crossover rings and stuff like that right. which a crossover ring is a ring that's threaded on the shock body mm-hmm. it doesn't come from the factory but that ring you can adjust where it is right. and that's what engages the second spring right your top spring is normally what accepts the little bumps mm-hmm. the little chatter the little rocks little known things as the like tender that. spring yeah the tender spring so you put a crossover ring inside that tender spring mm-hmm. and you can adjust it to where you can make the secondary spring engage faster right it, almost every time it's engaged faster mm-hmm. because some springs a factory tender spring it doesn't engage the bottom spring until it's fully collapsed mm-hmm. which is called a coil bind right and some springs aren't designed to coil bind mm-hmm. if you coil bind them overly and overly and overly again and again they end up collapsing right. and staying down. Right. So you take that t- that uh, crossover ring to kind of prevent that, and it also helps on the bigger jumps and you know bumps and whatever else you're doing. So yeah, there's a there's a lot more goes into suspension, and I'm sure what you have, I mean I can explain it all day long. Yeah, absolutely. It's but um, there's there's a lot to be said with that. There's numerous companies that offer spring packages, sole spring packages, mm-hmm. on unlike the ones we race and we. Jo- uh, on the ones that we race and we jump and stuff like that, we're doing full shock setups. Right. And they're built, they're changing the internals and the valve stack and stuff like that to accept what we're going to do. You right. Know, when you're sending a world record jump, of course you need the springs to carry the machine, but you need the valving to be stiff enough to where it won't just bottom like crazy when exactly. it actually takes the hit. You know, it'll actually yeah. take it to where it's supposed to take it. And one of the main things I always hear is people who trail ride. Uh, you know, they get a, a bad ride or this or that, or they jump their vehicle. Um, one of the main factors that uh, a lot of people don't think about is actually the wheel and tire that you run too. Actually, when you, you know, unload those springs, uh, there's a rate at which the spring and the shock is actually unloading, which gets changed by the wheel and tire you're running. So just about everything you do on your vehicle will affect the suspension, how it works, and things like that. Again, all those manufacturers that Hubert mentioned, um, they all take those that information into account as well. Um, so the suspension is very, very, very particular. But to get back off the suspension and talk a little bit more um, about that, uh, that unit, um, what did you build the uh, TriStar two-seater turbo rig that you got? What did you build that specifically for? Just I know you'd mentioned general racing, but did you actually race this in anything in particular? Uh, I mean, we I kind of built it around just general racing in itself, where I can kind of adapt it to whatever according to you know whatever needed. I actually raced King of the Hammers in that machine last year. Very nice. And uh, that was my first time racing King of the Hammers. My first time riding in the desert. I mean, period. Yeah. And. Uh, after King of the Hammers, I went and raced UTV World Championships in that one, as mm-hmm. far as on the short course mm-hmm. end of it. And, uh, I mean, to go back to King of the Hammers last year, like I said, it was my first time. I knew it was a rough race, and I come from here in the east, and, mm-hmm. you know, we climb rocks and hills and, you know, things like that. And I'm thinking it can't be no worse than this. Mm-hmm. Well, King of the Hammers is, you know, you know, they're trying to make it the hardest one-day race. Right. It is in the country right now. Right. Uh, they're trying to make it in the world. And, you know, they're pushing on it. The sole reason it's so hard is because there's a time limit on it. Sure. Uh, we're not climbing anything at Hammers any worse than we climb here in the east. Right. It's dry. You've always got traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just always bottoming out everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just picking a line that lets you keep moving. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big thing out there. So going out there first time, you know, I pre-run the whole course. Mm-hmm. And my 1000, just the one I ride trails on. 
And so I, I knew what to expect, and we took off, and, you know, we get out in the open desert part, and, you know, I, you know we're running 50, 55, and yeah. I think, man, this feels pretty good, and these people are passing me like I'm sitting still. Really? I was like, you're going to break that thing. You need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, man. Uh, you know, we, we move right along, and, yeah. uh, I mean, that machine is built stock. I right. Mean, it's, it's stock length. It's stock width. Right. Uh, I mean, we're running, you know, good shocks and good arms and stuff like that, but stock length and width in the desert through whoops, mm-hmm. you know, it, you need a little bit more travel. You almost need more travel. You don't have to have it, but right. it's almost more of an advantage to have a little more travel. Now, where does that more travel help you? It helps you in the faster sections, right. in the whoops, in the in the rough desert and stuff like that. Right. And the rocks, not as much. Yeah. It, I mean, it's all helpful. Yeah. But so, we, you know, we get out there and we get all the way around... We do the first half. We get all the way around the Chocolate Thunder, and we're, we go up that, and we're we're getting towards the next checkpoint. And I look at the dash, and it's like three o'clock. We get to the, the next checkpoint, and we're out of time. Right. You know, they they have cutoffs at every yeah. checkpoint, and you know it's kind of frustrating. But at the same time, I'm glad. I'm like, you yeah. know, this is stupid. Why am I even out? Yeah, here? I'm you know, this is yeah. crazy hard. It's yeah, so absolutely. hard on my machine and whatever. Yeah. And so uh, kind of go back and kind of reevaluate. You know what's it worth and all this kind of stuff yeah is it worth even going and doing it and some people say yes some people say no some of it's ego mm-hmm. uh, i know what i'm good at and i know what i'm not good at right i know how to race and i know how to finish but it doesn't necessarily mean i'm gonna be a front runner right um but we go out there for nitro exposure and you know just stay in front of people you know yeah. that's the biggest thing the nitro in general mm-hmm. and then we go race utv world championships in that same one use right. it in the short course mm-hmm. And it felt better there, uh, just because it's uh, not racing through rocks. Yeah, absolutely. It's racing through the through the desert, but it's yeah. a, a loop. We do like three laps, and that was a race, and it did fair in that, you know. So you finished, right? Yeah, we finished okay. that that one for sure. Okay. Um, place so, I don't know. It was okay. it was mid pack or something. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. maybe out of thirty, we got like twenty or gotcha. Forty out of twenty. I don't know, something yeah. like that. So uh, you know, did fair. Did yeah, okay. absolutely. And then from there. Uh, Actually, early on in the year, I had the goal to try desert racing. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures of that one. So. Now, now, that rig, I have to say, that was built by... Uh, Fabworks. Fabworks. Okay. So, you started with a four-seater turbo. Yeah, we started with an 18 four-seat turbo racer. Yep. Because you, you know, I know, because uh, at the time... I was keeping track of you, and you would spend a ton of time in California, and uh, you were, you know, selling parts off. And I actually think you ended up having parts stolen out of your trailer. It was yeah. just a really bad, it seemed like a bad experience. But when you unveiled that, it's a. If you're online, you're going to look for the picture. It is a. Uh, well, it's a two seater. It's a custom two seater. It's a four seat converted back to a two seat. Correct, and it's got a. It's got kind of the same look of the two seater. Um, but it's all red, white, and blue. Nine six eights a number on it, and this thing is uh, this thing's sharp. This thing is very, very sharp. So tell me, when you guys were designing it, what's the benefit of taking a four seater and pushing it to a two seater? Uh, the biggest thing in that is wheelbase. Right, right. Well, I mean, we push it out wider. We used the Super ATV's long travel kit okay. to get more travel out of it. Right, right. So you know, it was it was plus three inches per side. Right. So it was pushing like 75 inches wide or something Very like nice. that. That's huge. So here in the east, that is wide. Yeah. I mean, maybe not so much now that the Turbo S is out. Right. But, you know, that that is a wide machine. It's made for open desert. It's made mm-hmm. to run, you know, across that kind of stuff. So the wheelbase is very helpful mm-hmm. in the rougher desert, the whoops and stuff like mm-hmm. that. 
and that kind of racing where you're never really in tight situations. I mean, right. you might be going through like wash bed areas. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's big enough for trophy trucks going through there because they're doing the same course. Right. So, you know, that was the big advantage to that. And I started planning on that one like October the year before that. Right. And I locked in where to get the razor from, you know, at, at a good deal. And yeah. I reached out to Fabworks and, you know, I asked him, because Fabworks did all the all the fab work mm-hmm. as far as chassis and body work. Right, correct. And, uh, like, I can bolt it together. Mm-hmm. And that That's not incredibly hard. And then there's another company, UTV Wiring, mm-hmm. in Arizona. They, do they make work. a lot of high-end wiring components. Yes, they, they actually do. build race harnesses for, for razors. That's amazing. So I connected with him, and he's the one that did all the wiring on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, when you're building something like that, and it's going to be going, like, a couple hundred miles per race. Right. Uh, you need to kind of spend the money to have good stuff in it. Certainly. You know, good wiring, uh, even even as down as like good relays. Yeah. Uh, good fuel pumps, stuff like that. Because, again, you're into it so deep yeah. that you can't afford to not finish. Right. Uh, even if you're doing it for fun. You know, yeah. you don't want to be stuck out in the middle of the desert for a whole day waiting on best in the desert to come out there and rescue you. That's like a, a King of Hammers car this year. Uh, like a, a connection on the alternator blew out and you know you have uh, a full-size king of hammers rig i think it was actually levi shirley that had this problem and, and he blew that part out everything was running perfect it was a brand new machine and it was a 10 cent part that cost him the race yeah it can happen so it, it does happen yeah and sometimes this thing's overlooked and sometimes freak things happen right uh i mean that is what it is but you know, when i put all the time thinking into that car you know fabworks has been building you know, fabbing chassis and roll cages, stuff like that for UTVs since the Rhino days. Right. Like way before Polaris yeah. had gotten got into the game as far as the Razor. Right. So, and I knew some other guys that he had built their chassis, so I, I reached out to him, and um, that car was all chromoly. Yeah. You know, we you they use a, well, you have to use a stock frame. Right. As far as all the suspension mount points, uh-huh. the motor mount point. So you have to use the bottom rails and the mount points and everything above that. It's all chromoly, and it's all built up basically like a NASCAR. They cage right. it in. Yeah. Um, they lay in the fuel tank where it goes, and we kind of work backwards from that. Mm-hmm. I put a 32-gallon cell in it. Ooh, that's a lot of fuel. Um, yeah, but, I mean, racing desert, you need it. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be stuck going a long there. ways. Can't run back to the gas station. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we, we did that, and we, uh, we tried desert racing for a whole year. I went to every yeah. race, and uh, I, at the end of the day, I realized it's expensive. To yeah. live in the east and race in the west. Yes, Because I didn't is. even have time to go testing like what we were talking about earlier. Right. Like when I got there, it was like we're prepping it for the race, like bushings, bolts, belts, yeah. you know, oils, you know, change the transmission if it needs to, you know, yeah. whatever we need to change. And then we just go race it. Right. Like, so all I know is what it rode like last time. Right. Instead of actually having time to go out and get the shocks. Like Shock Therapy did the shocks on that one. Mm-hmm. And they had it running great. Mm-hmm. And it felt awesome. But certain situations, it needed some adjustments right. to adapt to that course. Sure. So, uh, and I didn't have time for that. Sure. So that's, you know, it, it was costly. I mean, between plane flights and luckily I had someone to leave it out there with us. Right. Or, you know, and I could just fly out there and meet them. Right. Um, but, you know, it's costly. Plane flights, hotels, gas. Yeah. And just the travel back and forth was expensive outside of the entry fees and parts yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, you're, you're averaging thousands per race. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's just not worth it. Yeah. So, uh, 
So this car's performance, what what is the race that you guys raced it in? I think you had it in two races, correct? No, that so that desert car, we raced the full best in the desert series. Oh, wow. So we started at the Mint 400. Right. Um, yes, fuel issues? Yeah, we had fuel system issues on okay. that one. And then but got it fixed, and we raced and finished the rest of the races. Yeah. Vegas Reno, we had a fuel system issue again. Okay. Um, and that's that's another thing. It's just the prep of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're running dual fuel pumps mm-hmm. on a flip switch, so if one goes bad, we just flip to the other one and yeah. keep going. I had both pumps running to one filter. Oh, wow. The filter clogged up, so yeah. there's no way to get around that one bad filter. Right. Totally my fault. Yeah. Um, so we, um, I rerouted it, and I put two filters on it. There you go. And so now we can switch. We have, we're running dual ECUs. Yeah. So if one goes bad, we just unplug and Ooh. plug back in. Woo, that's so, a wiring nightmare. Well, you... Not really. You just stack two ECUs together, yeah. and you unplug them off of one, yeah. and plug it back on. Hey, the that's the easy way so, to do it. Yeah, we're not we're yeah. not rebuilding the whole harness. Yeah, all on a flip switch. <laughs> you say two ECUs, and I just think of like a, some you know opening some sort of server closet where you just got wires no. and everything everywhere. But I mean, you, on on vehicles like that, you're running backup systems. Sure, just, a lot of it just in case. Sure. Um, and the the car did great. Yeah. It, it was fun to drive. Yeah. Now you uh, actually ended up getting rid of this car, correct? I, I I let it go because at the end of the day, like I can't use it here. Right. It's too big. In the east, most trails are built for the standard 1,000 width, and with the new Turbo S, I think that we'll see the trails start to expand eventually. But, um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it was it's too expensive to race it. Sure. So we uh, we let it go, and we we put that towards what we do. With adventures, yeah, and races here on the east and stuff yeah. like that. So we're never really out of the game. Yeah, we're just kind of changing the focus. So when you say we put that towards adventures here on the east, um, I've I know that you you uh, I haven't seen you race here in the east. Is that am I am I incorrect? No, I I've raced woods races and stuff okay. like that. There's a series rally raid in Alabama. Okay. Yeah, a few years back, I raced it quite a few times, and okay. um, that series is no longer. Okay. Um, Pro Rock and Pro UTB, yeah, they have a, they have a new survival series. Survival series, a two hour race. Wow, that's kind of right up my alley. Yeah, because okay, there are some fast people out there, no doubt, but you have to make it last for two hours. Well, oh, and that is a every East Coast driver listening to me right now. Y'all have a bad habit of holding it together. I go out and ride with some of y'all, and y'all aren't off the trailer yet, and somehow you've broken everything. Yeah. <laughs> so y'all uh, got to learn how to hold it oh, together. I, I know a few guys. They show up with like eight or ten axles. I've just because they know they're going to go through them. I'm I, like, okay, well. <laughs> oh, and I, so I, I haven't been riding for a ton of time, and I started riding, and I started noticing these guys would snap an axle, and, and for me, that would that would ruin my day. And uh, I'm not someone who carries just three or four axles, and uh, the first time I saw someone snap an axle, that axle broke, stabbed his tire, got a flat, uh, and, and within 15 minutes, we were back at his truck, and he's. I, I open. He opens his cabinets up. He's got 10 axles. Just grabs one out, grabs a whole new tire, wheel, everything. Just pumps it back on. I'm like, A, why are you so prepared for this? And B, <laughs> like, you know, how, how do you how do you just have all these things? And he's like, I know how I drive, so I'm prepared to make sure I can be out here all day long. Yeah. So you know, I'm gonna look into the. Uh the Pro Rock series. The Pro Rock series. Everybody racing Pro Rock, watch out. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not claiming to be a front runner. Yeah. But it, it's a fun type of racing because sure. you have some time in the in the machine. Yeah. Uh, there's some, like I say, the hill the hill killer stuff is awesome. Yeah. But I mean, you're shooting up a hill and you're done. Yeah. Not and, a lot of time in there. And the carnage, if it does go bad, is usually pretty bad. And on top so, of that, the, you know, 
the the typically the top three are the only ones that walk away with any kind of gain. And you know, I you know, you look at these racers, and I always tell people that uh, people who are racing, you know, they may win five grand, ten grand, whatever at the end of it, but that's just a a, a penny in the water, you know, in the dollar that is their race budget. Yeah, you're, you're not so, coming out ahead when you race, and that's something that people always seem to misunderstand. Is you know uh, these guys who afford their racing, it takes all their winnings, it takes everything that you have in mind, uh, and it's just how it is. Just yeah, it is. so I mean, with all that being said, you know, yeah. knowing what I know now, yeah, or what I after that last King of the Hammers, kind of yeah. knowing what I knew, I, yeah. at the time you're kind of like, yeah, no, you're fine. Hubert's got a big old Doberman. And uh, he's, uh, he's it's actually amazing. He's got, uh, the Doberman has his own room built into the wall under the stairs. And uh, he was over there uh, asking to be let out. So Hubert just let him out. But uh, he, He's whining because he's been inside. It's been raining so much. He wants to go outside and chase bunnies and squirrels. Man, that, uh, that doesn't sound too bad. Some days when I'm at work, I wish I was a dog chasing bunnies and squirrels. <laughs> but... Uh, so, so going back to it, you know, the Pro Rock Series is a chance to be in your machine a little bit more. Um, I don't have the full details on what exactly that course is. You said it's going to be two-hour races? Yeah, so talking to Joey and the guys that run Pro Rock and yeah. Pro UTV, uh, it's basically, they call it a survival series mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, it, it'll be a two-hour race. Yeah. So you're racing for two hours straight. And therefore, whoever is leading at the, at the last you know, a few minutes or whatever is the winner or most That's laps or, or whatever like that. So yeah. that'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. It, the course, from what I'm told, the course will be laid out, you know, anywhere from 10 miles or more. Wow. Now, see, I, I understood it in the, in the kind of the mindset of uh, the short course where it's, you know, a couple miles, but uh, again, I don't know anything about it. So yeah, hearing that I it's going to be that kind of long. I, I, I could be wrong now. Sure. The, the rally raid racing, it was a 12 mile loop. That's amazing. And in, you know, it was on a, you know, fairly small area mm -hmm. uh, in comparison. So, you just have, I kind of have to wait and see yeah. on mileage-wise. But I mean, I think they're going to push for, you know, pretty long miles. Yeah, that we don't have to do quite so many laps. Sure. Um, and it, it won't be just flat out. Like, they'll make it go through rock sections. They'll yeah. make it do some hill climb. They'll make yeah. it do a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, you know. To me, it sounds like a miniature East Coast Hammers. Yeah. I mean, same thing. And, like, I would love to see a... Uh, King of the Hammers East Coast. So I'd love uh, to see that. Ultra Four is actually coming to Adventure Off Road Park in April. I don't have the exact date, but uh, I listened to Ian Johnson talk during the King of Hammers. Uh, you know, while, while they were commentating the race, and they mentioned that it was coming over. It sounds like to me, and again, I could be completely wrong. I haven't put enough research into it. I'm even you know cautious talking about it. It sounds like to me that they're going to have the full size rigs run a couple mile lap uh, track. In adventure, and I don't, have you ever been to Adventure Off Road? I've been there. It's 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 pretty tight. <laughs> it's it's a tight area. Yeah. It's, it's the park is about five hundred acres. Right. It's on the front side of a mountain. Yep. So it's a it's a pretty cool park. It's more of a rock crawler park. Absolutely. Uh, it's not necessarily too UTV friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, just because the trails are just the beach, so, the beach it to death. So rough they are. Now, I mean, a lot of people go there. UTVs, and a lot of people have a good time. Like, to be honest with you, that's my favorite place to go ride because of the distance. Uh, 
and the distance and just the fact that you can get into a bunch of different spots. Um, but again, I'm, I'm someone who, who enjoys a little bit more technical stuff. Uh, and, and just from my experience, you will get the crap beat out of you after a day of riding there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a rough place, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll just wait and see what the Ultra 4 thing brings there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, their survival series, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, the first one is actually at Dirty Turtle. Okay, and that's, uh, is that this weekend? That's March 1st weekend. So that is... Is when, is when they win. So that's, that's basically next weekend. Yeah. So... I mean, in all honesty, if it's a straight-out mutter, yeah. like, I'm not racing it. Like, yeah, I understand I have, There's no point in me to go out there and just run your... Yeah. And my mindset is there's no point in just going and running in the mud for two hours straight. Mm-hmm. Kind of no matter what the prize money is. Now, see, I completely um, get that. I, there's a there's an Ultra 4 East Coast that they do, and uh, I think it's in Kentucky. It's the race. I don't remember. They've it's, done one in Kentucky, one in Oklahoma. Okay. The one I'm thinking of is in Kentucky, and I watched the UTV series on it. I think it was last year or the year before, and it just looked like a big mud track. And and I agree with you. To go out there and put your unit just in a mud hole, I mean, you know. I can do that here, and I can just go through the pond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I don't need to pay to go do that anymore. Well, you don't even need to pay, but I mean, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't. I don't like mud. I don't like running my stuff through. I mean, there's a time and place for everything, and a little bit here and there is fine, but... Uh, I would much rather go run through the woods, you know, at 20, 25 miles an hour rather than go sit through a mud hole. Yeah, and I mean, just the mud, it's wear and tear, and it's, yep. it's lots of lots of work to get it all back up and up and going, and, and that's fine. That's just part of it, like, no right. big deal. But at the same time, like, it, that doesn't excite me, so that's not what I'm going to do. Right. Um, so so we'll, we'll look into more of the, the series and... Well, I hope to see you out there. And stuff like that. Yeah. And you got my King of the Hammers from this year. Yeah, so that's what I want to talk about next. <laughs> so uh, I walk up to uh, Hubert's, Hubert's castle here, and uh, I see his not chassis. not castle <laughs> Just say shop. We'll just say that? shop. How about that? How about that? Let's, let's paint the right picture there. Uh, and uh, I pull up, and I see his, his brand-new, wide-open design chassis on the trailer, completely torn down. And we walked through his shop, and he said, Hey, do you want to see my... Uh, my new King of Hammers rig, and I was like thinking to myself, well, I think it's on the trailer out there, and he's like, he points over to the corner, and there's a there's an engine in the floor along with about every other part just kind of kind of tossed off to the side, and I see this pile of dirt where it was all taken down. Uh, so, so tell us. Um, I want to start from the ground up because it is a amazing machine. First shot right out of the gate. The chassis, wide open design. Tell us about it. So, you know, here in the, here in the southeast, uh, Razor buggies or razor crawlers or razor bouncers are uh, are are pretty common and are becoming more and more common right so that's uh, you know that just seeing that you know that kind of was always a, a thought of them those would be pretty cool yeah gotta let the dog in so for those who don't know um there are a couple manufacturers in the southeast that make uh i don't want to say templated but that kind of a, a similar design, a chassis that they know that they've tested and it works really well. Um, they dogs running around. I'm gonna put them in the shop. There we go. Uh, like uh, Razor Sharp Customs makes one. Uh, Pruitt chassis, uh, Pruitt Customs, they make one. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that make them, and uh, they're really awesome machines. Um, it's amazing whenever you get someone who can build one in their in their shop personally. They'll build. Works of art, just beautiful chassis. But these kind of manufacturer uh, chassis that they make, they're they're pretty. I don't want to say plain, but they're very structurally 
uh, well designed and they, they give someone a chance to build a roller. Um, I know a lot of these shops you can just drop off a razor or you can order a chassis and they'll give you a chassis back. Uh, you can send in an entire unit there and they'll send one, you know, they'll send you your buggy completely buttoned up uh, right back out the door. And uh, I don't know prices off the top of my head. Y'all feel free to get in contact with those manufacturers. Um, but Wide Open Design has actually never built a Razor chassis to my knowledge. This seems like it was the first one, right? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like you were saying, in the southeast and like you were explaining, there's the Razor bouncers, crawlers, chassis, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm are fairly common right uh, but it's really only in this part of the country like right. you don't even see them at King of the Hammers very much one thing that I've, I've constantly seen I actually had a uh, toxic off-road built a chassis for me and you know in the south there's uh, I don't want to say it's uh, unnecessary but there's art to the chassis they make them look a certain way lots of tubes just to make sure the users gonna be safe a lot of the guys in the west who have come out or even guys here in the east they're like why do they put so much tube into them why do they do this and that they're just making them heavy Guys, it's an art thing. It's about building something that's not only effective and structurally sound, but it, you really get a chance to build something that looks cool, that's unique. Uh, there's a million different ways. So it is a different style than what uh, the wide open design chassis is. Um, there's definitely the rock bouncer versus a chassis that not necessarily mimics the stock Razor chassis, but it makes improvements upon it. And kind of wherever that stock chassis has room to grow uh, this is where it goes and, and it's a lot more functional platform not just necessarily built for holding two people um, this is something that's built for holding gear uh, built for diverse terrain there's a lot more that goes into it than just building a chassis that looks cool although sometimes that's what people do <laughs> oh yeah and in in the west most stuff is built very race car looking right uh, you have the trophy trucks and yep. the ultra four cars you know they're kind of I want to say a little bit square box style. Right. You know, everything just has a race chassis look mm-hmm. to it. So everything's kind of going to mimic that. We're here right. in the southeast. You know, we, we're just a bunch of hillbillies bending a bunch <laughs> of tubes together. So they, yeah. the mindset is a little bit different. It's more as open. Like, I like just the kind of the simple race car look. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is just a little bit simpler. Mm-hmm. But the the big bouncers, the little bouncers, they're a lot more abstract with kind of... Sure nearly a spider web look to them absolutely and that's fine you know it that's all on you know whatever the person exactly wants you know but uh wide open design they're you know they push out some of the best quality best working i would agree big buggies yeah they're in the southeast man if you haven't seen uh, them probably basically just in the east yeah they're some of the highest quality best you know built buggies there are they've had buggies in SEMA yep and all kinds of stuff and, and that's all in the big buggy and they build razor cages mm-hmm. they've built us numerous razor, razor cages for Nitro Circus and mm-hmm. Travis and you know my trail buggies and all that kind of stuff as far as razor stuff they build bumpers you know they build a lot of cool stuff and the owner is I went to uh, high school with him oh that's cool I helped him out you know yeah. just well, helped him out here and there with his what's bird, his name Adam Woodley Adam Woodley so I went to high school with him yeah and uh they started in his dad's garage. Yeah. You know, they they took a S10 Blazer, you know, basically put it up on a full-size yeah. truck chassis, Danish 44s, Whew. and then they did a couple of cab trucks, yeah. and then they did, they did one or two, like, tube chassis, and then it just kind of went off, like, because right. uh, as time grew, they grew, and the quality, you know, they're always trying to go above and beyond as far as the quality yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I had mentioned to him numerous times, you know, what about building a, a Razor chassis? Mm-hmm. 
And he's a man, he said, I'd love to. He's like, I, I do see there's a market for it. He said, but we need to go about it in a certain way mm -hmm. to where I'm not just building one and we're done. Right. Because uh, to some people that are listening, you know, some people get it, some people don't. Right. Um, a one and done full custom build, if you can charge for every hour, yeah, there's money in it. Right. But you're going to have a crap load of money and time into it. You are. And not everyone is willing to pay that. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You know, I mean, trophy trucks are averaging quarter million dollars plus. Just for the chassis. Well, I mean, you can buy a used one for whatever. Sure. But, I mean, you know, you're quarter million plus yeah. as far as a trophy truck goes. Right. Uh, Bryce Minzy, his all-wheel drive trophy truck, is pushing over a million. And a million dollars. You know, that's wow. that's time, development, man hours, you know, bending, <laughs> welding, yeah. you know, fabbing, engineering. You know, there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Um, so there ain't nobody here on the east gonna pay that kind of stuff. Now, I mean, the big buggies they they get up in price, and they especially do. if you're going all brand new stuff like mm -hmm. brand new motor, brand new transmission, new yeah. axles. If you're building everything brand new, I mean, products alone, you're a lot of money into it. You can't yeah. help it. Yeah. And then the fab work on top of it, well, that's nothing compared to all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've i been, you know, working with him for, he's had one of my razors up there for almost a year. Really? Which one? Uh, so we we pulled a turbo that I had. Yeah. I bought one wrecked and we took it up there and then I had a frame from another one that was perfectly fine. Yeah. We took it up there and he pulled <laughs> measurements off of it to get, because the Polaris Razor chassis. Mm-hmm. The razor handles very well. Yeah. Excellent. So why would you want to change that? Agreed. You just want to add to it, make it a little bit stronger. So yeah. he took the time and he pulled measurements and he CAD he CAD drew the whole thing on CAD mm -hmm. and SolidWorks, and then he kind of moved things around. And I said, "Well, I want to put this RS1 turbo diff in the front of it, right? You know, so we need to adapt the frame to that, right?" I said, "But the frame should also accept the other diff, mm -hmm. so." No just matter, in case. You know, yeah. if someone only has the other diff, that's what they'll use. Right. Or like, you know, so you want to adapt that. You know, you want to adapt radiator location. You know, certain things don't move. The motor stays right. where it stays. Right. The arms stay know, where all the way around. Stay. The arms yeah. and shocks all stay in certain places. And that's one of the most beautiful things about people who design a wheel, like a chassis, and they do a good job, is you can, you know, you design a chassis and the arms, the axles, things like that. You can go get axles and arms off the shelf. Because all of those mounting locations are just mimicking the stock locations. The cool thing that you can alter on the chassis is things like wheelbase and radiator location, uh, things like that. But the, the best part about this stuff and, and something I want to talk about next is um, you can use the same parts that you would use on your regular 1000 on your chassis buggy. Yeah, so the, the, big, the big picture goal with Wide Open Design and their chassis was... Let's reuse as many parts as we can sure. because why should you have to go buy more mm -hmm. and why should I have to go make more? Correct. He's like, so, you know, and Razor Sharp and Pruitt and all that, they do a lot of the same things. You know, they, they're using the same power string, the same rack, the same arms. They're, they're using a lot of the same parts. We're just using a few more. Mm -hmm. uh, like my chassis, we use a stock seat frame in it. Mm, it bolts cool. right in. Yeah. Because why do you need to change that? Agreed. Like, even if you have a wrecked razor, it's very rarely that you bend the seat frame. Right. So the seat frame bolts in, and then your stock razor seats bolt in. Or right. the seats you have, Any, they just yeah, they pop right in. Seats. Then your shifter, it just fits right. You never even have to pull your shifter off. Right. It's still there. 
So, you know, that's hours or time that they would have to make a shifter mount and put it somewhere else mm-hmm. when that's all just perfectly fine. We'll just use that. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, you use your regular pedals, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you use naturally, but we try to use more. Yeah. And, you know, we I told them, I said, I want a fuel cell at least as big as stock, mm-hmm. if not more. Right. Because a lot of these chassis, um, they're kind of with kind of hill climbing in mind, they don't need a lot of fuel. Right. You know, their tanks are pushing four to five gallons. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Uh, to race up a hill, that's fine to, you know, ride around fairly close. But mm-hmm. I use more than that just riding around Windrock. I was about to say, so I actually raced my, my Toxic Off-Road Buggy. Uh, I rode it around Windrock. We would do eight hours one way and eight hours back. And we'd have to pull off the mountain and find a gas station for me because yeah. I had a, I'd probably say I had an eight, nine, 10 gallon fuel cell. And, uh, you know, it's, it sounds like enough, but when you're pushing, you know, a 1000 XP motor, pushing 32s and you're driving up some pretty rough stuff, keeping up with, you know, regular razors just going down the street too, you know, those bigger tires, the motor, everything adds up. And all of a sudden your buddies in stock machines, they have half a tank and you're out of gas and you're in the middle of a trail. Yeah, and you know, I learned a lot about fuel mileage on the cross-country trip. I'm sure you did. Because I took a General, Uh an XP-1000, and a Razor Turbo. Yeah. So the XP-1000 got the best mileage out of all three. Really? Now, it and the General have the same motor, Uh but the General transmission is slightly lower geared. Okay. So it's burning a little bit more. Right. And of course, the Turbo, it was a tank and a half out of that Turbo to a tank of the 1000. Wow. That's how much more it burned. Yeah. What was the reason? Do you know? It's just because it's a turbo motor. Just because it's a turbo. It's just pushing more fuel through. Right. And, you know, and we're driving pretty conservative, like, you know, 40 miles an hour down gravel roads and stuff like that, just cruising along, not using lots of power, just right. trying to get good mileage. Yeah. And so we learned right off, you know, XP 1000, the furthest we went was 188 miles on a tank. That's a lot. And we pulled into the gas station, it was blinking. Yeah. And it took... It had a little more than half a gallon left in it mm. after calculating what it took. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we pushed it nearly as far as you can without running out. Do you know how much fuel gallon-wise uh, stock 1,000 stock one uh, Stock machines hold roughly about nine gallons. Okay. Um, so my tank in my wide-open design chassis mm-hmm. is a 10-gallon tank. Okay. So we built we built this first one around Ultra 4 mm-hmm. and their... There are rules because I was going to go race it. Right. So it's a plastic fuel cell with an aluminum can built around it. Okay. That's required. Yeah. Uh, we adapted the factory fuel pump to fit inside there and just changed the fuel lines. That was pretty basic of it. Sure. Um, the the next ones we'll just have to see. We're going to re he's going to reevaluate some different fuel tank options. Yeah. Because you don't necessarily need that same fuel tank setup for everybody. Right. We only need it for that type of racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll evaluate what fits the best, what kind of looks the best, because they're, they're a lot about the finished image. Sure. Uh, because that's what people see. Yeah, certainly. So my fuel tank is actually in the console. It's under wow. the dash, right in the console, so I'm putting a little more weight up front anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you fill it from the front, you just pull the front hood off, and it's the fuel tank right there. Yeah. So, you know, it, it worked very well. Yeah. So... We'll back up to where that was the initial thought of let's build it like this, let's do this. <laughs> Your dog wants to well, let him outside back. That's how it is, man. You let them outside and they want back in as soon as they come back. <laughs> but 
moving moving towards the the ultra four you know other than the design components uh you know what what makes that design uh different as far as like wheelbase is it actually longer so yes we uh i did some research and just talked to different people with mm-hmm. with razor crawlers and stuff like that and like like what all uh what wheelbases and we my razor is sitting at like a can-am x3 wheelbase okay so in the desert, you need a little bit more wheelbase. Right. But you don't need as much as a four seat when it comes to the rocks. Right. So we kind of come up with a happy medium. Yeah. And. <laughs> I don't know why he's being so whiny. Oh, it's all right. Um, no. So with that being said, we kind of went with that wheelbase yeah. as, a, as a general. Yeah. The biggest thing we wanted area for a toolbox yeah. or a cooler if you want. You right. know, some of these uh, razor chassis don't have that. They're more so just people and that's it so what you're actually building is you're not building just hubert's ultra four rig you're actually going to help them you've you've helped them design the rig that they're going to manufacture and that they're going to sell out because you know i i personally when i go ride i bring a toolbox but the next guy you know he goes riding he's not worried about breaking anything he's gonna bring in the cooler so you guys designed this in mind to be mass manufactured so we're we're he's designed this and i've just kind of pointed in directions i think would work sure uh, as far as like, there's nothing wrong with a stock razor. Right, correct. It, it does everything very well, mm-hmm. but there is enough of them that have been wrecked. That people buy wrecked and they want to kind of upgrade stuff. Sure. That maybe this is an option you could do. The goal would be to have a complete chassis that has everything. He can send it to you already powder coated mm-hmm. or bare. Mm-hmm. And you just bolt everything into it. Like it has the fuel pumps. Yeah. Or not not fuel pump because you'd use a stock pump. Right. It would have a fuel tank, the lines, mm-hmm. uh, any kind of wire extensions it yeah. would need. Drive line. The drive line. You know, it would have all this stuff with it. So you just bolt everything in. Uh, the goal is to make it, you know, relatively simple yeah. and very universal where it could go anywhere. Yeah. Now, some like everyone that saw my my uh, chassis, they loved it. They mm-hmm. said it's awesome. But, you know, you, there are the hill climb people that they don't really prefer it because it's kind of more, it's a shrunk down ultra four car. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's just a little race car looking thing. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the hill climber type people, they just have that image yeah. of that spider web looking hill absolutely. climber. It's like, well, that won't do the same thing. Well, right. no, it'll do exactly what yours will do. Absolutely. It just doesn't appear that way. One of the things that I've seen is the, uh, there's a blue torch fab razor out there. And it's, and it's a very similar idea of what he's talking about, this more boxy race style. Um, and it is out there, and it competes in the Pro Rock series right now. There's full bodies that are out there in the Pro Rock series. You know, a stock razor can get out there and climb in these hills and these events and do well and complete the hills and do everything you need to do. Again, it really comes down to the driver. What do you want out of your rig? How easily do you want to be able to climb something? Do you want your center of gravity a little bit lower? You know, by no means, and I think Hubert would agree with this, by no means do you need, you know, uh, a $75,000 buggy to climb this hill and be competitive. Now, I use competitive a little loosely there. Uh, the guys who have a, a fully blown designed buggy will have an advantage uh, oh, every sure. single bit of the day. But as far as getting up there and being able to be a part of this, you can do this with a stock machine. Yes, and we, we look at it, I look at it, and Water Design, they look at it as, you know, they make their money from trail rig people. Right. Um, racers, unfortunately, what and people people won't like hearing me say this, mm-hmm. but racers and racing is a very small percentage of sales. 
I would like agree. extremely small. I agree. It's not, in all honesty, it's not even big enough to cater towards. Mm -hmm. And people don't want, want to hear that because if you've made your life about racing, well, that's all you know, and that's fine. But there's way more people out riding trails than there are racing up a hill. Yeah, think about that. Guaranteed. That first time you went to Brimstone and you just saw... You know, if you go to Camp Razor East or West, you'll come out there and you'll just see hundreds of razors. Oh, Camp Razor West, 100,000 people. 100,000 people. That's insane. And just think about the maybe, what, five people out there who maybe race competitively? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's bigger. But, you know, at, at the same time, you know, racing is only so big. Right. And there is exposure in racing, no doubt. Right. But the difference between racing and trails or, you know, adventures or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, is... A lot of people like watching racing. Yeah. But they don't necessarily want to race. That is this guy right here. <laughs> well, then there's there's the cost of racing. Absolutely. There's building a machine for racing. Sure. There's the cost of just upkeeping it. You know, there's a lot of cost where, you know, you're glad to watch it, sit on the sidelines, all oh, that looks awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, all right, we'll go ride some trails and I'll hit this little hill and I'll feel like I did the same thing and we're, we're fine. Yeah. Um, so the racers, there's much less. And here's a, here's a little... A little spec or a little stat for you that you know i think your listeners would really sure find like mind-blowing so in 2016 mm -hmm. there's 250,000 utvs sold in 2016 in 2016 Woo! that's all brands all types Woo! <laughs> okay so at that given time polaris yeah. owned 80 percent of the market Woo. so 80 percent of 250,000 yeah. okay so let's back up again mm -hmm. back up 250,000 Seventy percent of that two hundred fifty thousand were utility models bought for utility purposes. So, utility purposes being farms, yes. moving moving that's, equipment, that's like rangers that. and pioneers and maverick. You know, yeah, you know, whatever. The, the, so yeah. that that just shows the real market is not in sport. Hmm. Sport is only thirty percent of the market in sales for UTVs. Period. Right. So those of us that are all up in the sports stuff and you see them everywhere and, you know, you see sport machines all over Windrock and Brimstone and Moab and you think, man, that's, that's everything. Mm -hmm. No, that's only 30% of the market. That's amazing. And that seems low. You know, you, you back up and now back up and think about that for a right. minute. So out of that 30%, how many people actually race? Yeah. I would say 5% or less. Sure. You start splitting hairs. So, yeah. So why do we need to cater towards that? Yeah, I agree. And I'm not saying don't, mm -hmm. but back up and look at a company, and if they know all those specs, well, they'd rather build down trailer hitches for Rangers. Absolutely. Because Polaris has sold over a million Rangers. They haven't Ooh. built a quarter million Razors yet. They haven't built a quarter million Razors. As far as like XP-1000. They haven't built that many XP-1000s yet. Wow. So... And how long has XP-1000 been out? 14. 14. So it's been out five years. They're coming so, up on five. So, so just just let the viewers just think about that for a minute. I mean, yeah. we'll continue on. Right. But so you got a hardcore racer, and you now that you have those numbers to know, yeah. you just think about it. And some people will get it. Some people won't. Right. But at the same time, you know, that's where, you know, I worked with Adam at Wide Open Design. I was like, you know, he agrees with building it more of a an all-purpose razor. Mm-hmm. Just a better version. Yeah, I, I think now there's smart. now they can build a full hill killer, and they very well may in the future. Mm -hmm. But the a few the initial platform to start will be something similar to what I have. Right. We'll put opening doors on it. Mm -hmm. Now, 
as far as the base of the chassis, all the mounting, that stays the same no matter what you build. Pretty much stock, just reinforced. Yeah, I mean, your arm mounting and yeah. your motor mounting and your diff mounting, all that will always stay the same. It has to. Right. So that doesn't mean he can't change the uppers to look just like a hill killer. Exactly. It's nothing but drawing it up on CAD and bending it out, and there it is. You have yeah. a hill killer that started as my machine. Right. So then you instantly got the, oh, well, I want one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, what about this one? Well, I don't really like that. Hey, it's the same machine, man. It's just a couple of tubes built different. Exactly. And they're like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. It just takes that, that looking outside of that box. Absolutely. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe uh, ORB, Off-Road Beast, they actually sell, and I could be wrong here, they sell the lower portion um, where they actually will bend out the stock mounts that he's talking about. Uh, and basically, you build your chassis on top of that. If you're a fabricator, look into that. Fact check me. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, I believe that that's how my chassis that I raced was built. Um, it started, again, as an ORB lower section, and then basically the designer went from the ground up on that. Yeah, there's a couple people that do that. Yeah. And, you know, if if you're a fabricator and you, you love building your own stuff, mm -hmm. that's where it's at. Yeah. I'm not a fabricator. I, I can am fix, not either. I can fix things. <laughs> yeah. And I can build small things, and I can, I'm a mechanic. That's yeah. what I am. I can bolt things together. You know, I can pull a motor, new crank, new turbo. I can do all that sure. kind of stuff. Bending tube—that's a mystery. That's sure. a mystery beyond me. Like I can't even bend the brake line without it. <laughs> I was about to say, much less doing all that. Yeah. But, so that's kind of where the chassis came from. Yeah. The wide open design. You know, there's a lot of time into it, and you know, we're fixing to start on another one. Yeah. Because uh, I had bought another Rect Razor. Very exciting. So this next one will change some of the image lines of it to kind uh -huh. of look a little more aggressive. Sure. We'll put opening doors on it, uh -huh. and then what we'll two in a row? That's kind of different versions yeah and then kind of proceed forward with that right that way he'll have a couple different options for yeah. people to pick and once you get the options rolling the jigs made and all that kind of stuff then it becomes you, faster then you can kind of go from there yeah uh his guys can build full size like just a bare chassis silly amounts of time who's the guy that did the welding on yours that you posted a couple times on your instagram oh travis travis so i i've ridden with travis a couple times uh just here and there he's, he's got, got a, a cab truck that's all he's awesome. got a cab truck that is just cool but that guy in his ability to weld is just it, it's an artistic level well i mean all every person in the wide open shop right has got just crazy skills absolutely and i mean there's tons of people that are listening mm -hmm. that have crazy skills absolutely. also but they're like kind of one per shop or maybe two per shop. Well, this, I mean. This is a great group of people. These guys, like all of his guys back there that fab, mm -hmm. and they're just, they're amazing welders. They're great at fabrication. They're just great at what they do. He's got a machinist back there that's machining parts that's wow. super knowledgeable. I mean, Adam knows how to do all of it. Uh -huh. And it's unreal. Like, yeah. And like, so I dealt with Fabworks on Desert Car. Yeah. Him and his two guys, same way. I mean, just. Just a great group. Just amazing people can lay just the most amazing beads that like, yeah. I can only dream of doing. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, I stick stuff together and it looks fair. And it should hold yeah. for the most part. I always, but, I, uh, I, I've always heard a strong will necessarily doesn't have to be beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, that's... The guys are unreal. But we, we rolled into building this rig. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted it done earlier in the year. And they're so backed up on, like, big buggies and mm -hmm. big paying jobs. Mm-hmm. And just jobs in general that he's like, we got to fit it in. Mm -hmm. He's like, I can't just push money away to do this. And, you know, I'm still paying for it, but it's kind of an initial just let's get it going type right. thing. He's like, this is going to take longer than what it should. Right. He's like, so we, we have to evaluate the time. I was like, all right, well, that's fine. 
was like, look, I'm here these months. Mm-hmm. I said, let's let's go to races at King of Hammers, and we'll just let it out there. And he's like, all right. So we we push it all together. I ordered the the parts we need, the fuel cell, fuel lines, you know, wiring extensions. You know, I I, I ordered everything we need. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we start firing away on it, and we built that entire thing in two weeks. I saw. I was, I was following your little uh, I mean, sneak previews on Instagram. Two weeks, like that's it. Two weeks, like I built my full desert car in three and a half weeks. <laughs> and that's <laughs> crazy. You know, Fabworks knocked out the chassis in like a week. Yeah. Uh, and they knew the time frame, and then the wiring guy helped me. We knocked that out in about a week, and yeah. then the bolting, and you know all that kind of stuff. So this was even tighter, and. It's not like we we're going off of a stock chassis and just adding tubes. This is this it. was starting from nothing. Yeah. So they they built like a, a base lower, mm-hmm. and then they went up. Yeah. And they started you know just pushing out stuff and moving around. And we had to reevaluate where things go, and this needs to go here, or not here, and you know. Uh, but two weeks of many many late nights. I mean, we stayed until at least nine o'clock at night every night for two weeks. Oof. The last two days, we were there for 48 hours straight in the shop. Woo-hoo, man. But them boys, them boys clocked in on, them boys clocked in at like 7 a.m. Friday morning yeah. and didn't leave until almost Sunday morning. Man. Like, we stayed there working on stop uh, to get it done. And we go to turn the key and the thing wouldn't even start. What's wrong? It would start with some gas, yeah. but it wouldn't run. And I... I had to get it home, so we the guy came and wrapped it while it was there. We got it back to my shop, and I my goal was to be at Hammers the Sunday before. Yeah, I noticed you left late. This was Sunday I was working on it. Yeah, still. yeah. So like, I get it here, and I pull out my box of parts, and I'm trading sensors. I'm changing plugs, injectors, yeah. fuel rails, all kind of stuff. Nothing seemed to change it, and it, it was throwing a code of... I don't remember what the code was, and I text a few people that I knew within within the Polaris, you know, within the race team, yeah. within engineering, of like what could this be? And they they give me a list of things to check. Mm-hmm. Well, they all check out fine. So it was whatever. And my buddies Chris West, uh, Shake and Bake Powder Coat. Shout out to Shake and Bake. Yeah, he him and our buddy Rocky. They had come out. They wanted to just ride some trails, and I was. You know, neck deep in this thing. So they, um, they sent all the friends, girlfriends, whoever, just wives out, just go ride trails. And they sat there and helped me work on it. Very nice for a few hours, wow. and never could click with it, whatever. And so I about pulled my hair out. So I got in a razor, and we just went and rode some trails for like an hour, mm-hmm. just to kind of mellow out, break it out. I was like, yeah. I'm late. It doesn't matter, but I'm still going. So I stayed up until like 5 a.m. that night. Man. Got everything on it, skid plate, radios wired, all the wiring, you know, got everything done, minus it didn't run good. Yeah. I loaded it in, in the trailer, not running. I mean, it would run with gas, but That's nothing bold. else. That's a bold move. And I didn't even I didn't even bring my other turbo as a spare. You just took like, that one. I was like, there are no, there's nothing. I have to make it work. So I Ooh. I text Mark Queen, Queen yeah. Racing out in Lake Havasu. Yeah. Uh, he's helping me quite a few times when something like this like my desert car did right. the same kind of weird little thing and I said hey this thing's not running I'm loaded up I would like to stop by there tomorrow you know and just point me in the right direction you right. can do anything he's like yeah yeah no problem um, I took off out of here I went to bed slept for a few hours I took off out of here at like noon on Monday mm-hmm. what day was the race 
was Sunday. Sunday. So, I, I mean, there were still days, but I wanted more it's, days. I wanted I test say, days. I wanted when, time. When you're doing King of the Hammers, days isn't enough sometimes. Well, no. And so I loaded it up, not running. I took off out of here about noon, 1 o'clock. And in 26 hours, I was in Lake Absolute. So what are you thinking when you're driving 26 hours? Nothing. And you're just, you're back there, and because I know sometimes I'll make, I'll make an adjustment on my machine, and I, I'm like, I test it kind of, you know, and I get there, and I'm like, man, I just hope this thing runs. But you're pulling a machine you know has an issue. What's going through your head? There's, there, I just, I, I just keep in that, I, uh, so I, DC Shoes had a thing years ago that uh-huh. Travis pushed out. It was called Refuse to Lose. Refuse to Lose. And that was, ever That's since it. I heard that, I've just always kept that in the back of my head. It's not something I go out and preach around. Right, right. But when things get hard, you just refuse to lose. You do whatever it takes to make it work. I like that. And so I just took off driving. And I drove nonstop until yeah. I got to Lake Havasu. Yeah. I got to my buddy's house, which is the editor for a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I slept at his house. Then I went down to Mark Queen's shop, which right down the road. And I told him what's going on. He's like, all right, well, unload it. Let me pull the codes off of it. And so I unloaded it. He pulled the codes, and uh, he does a lot of ECU tuning, a lot of dyno runs, mm-hmm. a lot of motor work. You know, super, super sharp guy. What's the name of your shop? Queen Racing. Queen Racing. Out in Lake Havasu. Lake Havasu. He's, he's the go-to guy in the West. Okay. Like, almost everybody that races best in the desert is yeah. running a flash from him. Okay. Uh, he's just super, super smart dude. Okay. You know, has insane amount of knowledge. Yeah. And knowledge is power. Absolutely. So I told him what it was doing. He's like, all right, unload it. He pulled the codes. He went and looked at it. And he pulled the codes up on his computer, looked it up. He's like, all right, try this, this, and this. Three things. Do you know what those three things were? Well, he told me, he said, he said pull the fuel, the fuel pump out uh-huh. and make sure the pump isn't leaking on the pressure line. Uh-huh. So he pulled the fuel pump up out of the tank, turned on, sure enough, it was leaking. Really? Because we made new tubes. Right, yeah. Extend it just a little bit. And use the factory style tubes. Heat it up. It all heat shrank just fine. Yeah. But it was leaking around that, that pressure line. Yeah. So we pulled it out, put a new pressure line on it, crimped it, you know, got it good and tight, fixed that. And then it still wasn't running right. Mm. So he gets looking around in it. He's like, oh, see that plug? He said, swap these two plugs. And as soon as he said swap those plugs, I pictured my razor here yeah. where I was looking down at it. And I was like... That's what's wrong. Yeah. Sure enough. The, the two map sensors, I had them plugged backwards. Oh, yeah? So you got one sensor saying, I've got way too much air over here. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. And the other sensor is like, I need more air. <laughs> <laughs> and they're plugged in backwards. Yeah. So it was literally that simple. Wow. It was just a uh, amateur move. Yeah. Uh, maybe 48 hours up straight. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. But it, I got very lucky that it was only those couple little things. Yeah. Uh, if we didn't have fixed the fuel thing, it probably would have blew the motor up. Yeah, Ten, yeah, certainly so. Ten grand gone. Woo. It would have leaned it out. <laughs> so, you know, just yeah. being around the right people, yeah. doing the right things, that's what it was. Yeah. Got it fixed. He's like, all right. And we adjusted a few little things and changed, like, air intake routing and little yeah. things like that. He's like, all right. He said, go up there and run it in the desert, you know, just up the road from his house. He said, because I'd rather you have a problem here and right. we fix it than right. you get out there and have a problem and you got to come back or whatever. So I went out and run it, you know, probably about an hour, run it back and forth through the desert and beat on it, and it ran fine. Before you did that, that first startup, when it worked right, because you had had them backwards, when you oh, started it up. Oh, as soon as I up, plugged them in, I knew yeah, it was going to yeah, run Yeah, right. so, so you started up, and you're just like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. How, how's that feel? Oh, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, 
that's how it should have felt when we were at the shop here. Right. But, right. you know, whatever. We got it going good. Yeah. And, of course, Adam at Wide Open, he was texting me. Yeah. Like, texting me to keep up with it. Right. Like, what's going on? What can I do to help? Yeah. You know, this, you know, he's behind me fully. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he was right there with me the entire time. Like, his guys built it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got a ton of stuff going on with the right, shop. Right, Between other builds and parts and all that kind of stuff. But he was right there in on top of it also. Mm-hmm. And he can, now that one's been built, it kind of knows where to go and knows, you know, can kind of back up and just let it happen. Yeah. But it was right there with me the entire time. His guys were, you know, everyone was behind it. Yeah. You know, no matter what. So he got it going good. And we run it some in the desert. It ran fine. So I went over to Hammer's. Went and got my little garage spot and set up, and I, I just slept in the trailer when I was out there. Yeah. I had like a little heater and a generator, and yeah. it's, you know, as simple as it gets. Yeah. And we're going against like multi-million dollar teams. Yeah, like no Factory kidding. Can-Am and Factory Polaris. Yeah. And, you know, these guys that are, you know, big motor coaches and stuff like that. And yeah. I'm friends with most of them, and yeah. super good people, but right. it's just, you know, this is more exposure than anything, yeah. so we went out there running good, uh, went out and, and did some pre-running. Yeah. With, some four-wheel parts guys yeah and those uh fellas and i run it a little bit by myself and mm-hmm. then once i i met up with them we got out there and i, I wouldn't say like hammertown has cell service mm-hmm. when there's nobody there yeah but when you, you stack there. 30 50 100,000 people in there there ain't no more cell Ooh, service 100,000 people they done swamped it all out yeah so it's hard pressed to even get a hold of anyone yeah. two-way radio is the easiest way yeah if you're all on the same channel uh-huh so i met up with them we went and pre-run up like jack uh jack north and you know up a few other spots and that was the first time hitting it in rocks yeah and um i'm glad i reached out to uh bcc skids they're down in columbia mm-hmm. and he made me a custom skid plate for that yeah because the chassis is longer you right know, you gotta have something you special. can't just have off the shelf you could take a four seat one and chop it down i guess yeah but you know we we designed the bottom of the frame different and all that kind of stuff to kind of make it have better clearances to mimic the big buggies that work very well. Right. So uh, they sent, Adam and them sent CAD drawings to him. Mm-hmm. He, he scaled them out and he cut them out of the, the half inch plate, mm-hmm. you know, bolted right on, no big deal. We just nice. had to drill the holes. Yeah. And so that all worked out really great. And luckily we had that kind of stuff because you don't go out there without a good skid plate. No. A stock skid plate, I mean, It'll do it for a little while, it'll get but trashed. it'll eventually be ripped off. Yeah, I'm about to say, you'll see it in the rearview mirror for too long. <laughs> but I started going up and following those, those folks, and that was my first time really getting it up in the rocks. Yeah. And a stock razor does well mm-hmm. out there. If you'll put 32s on it, you know, yep. high clearance arms, stuff like that, it'll do well. I mean, the guy that won it the past two years, Mitch Guthrie Jr., that's a stock format right. razor. Right, and he won this year on a Turbo S Velocity. A Turbo S Velocity, which Very is nice. 72 inches wide from the factory. Woo! Big so boy. it's great in the desert. Yeah. But in the rocks. You got some width issues. I mean, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, running a normal stock 64 inch razor right. with wheels, you're probably pushing about 66 inches mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, maybe a little bit wider. Right. You run into some issues where it's tight. And rolling on 72 to 75 inches wide, yeah. you know, that's even tighter. Right. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done because right. the big old four buggies do it. But it's but, different. But they're way bigger, right. way more clearance, way yeah. more power, yeah. way stronger. Uh, so, And the wider you go for those who, you know, the, the width makes a difference because that's just more area for your arms to get caught up in. It's more area for you to hang in. That's just, it, you know, the the 
one of the good things about 800s that Hubert mentioned to me before was that they were so small and narrow that they could kind of weasel their way through things. Whereas, you know, something like his buggy where it's wider, it's longer, you know, basically all it is is just a big billboard that says for a rock, hey, grab me, slow me down. <laughs> and, and, you know, how, how, how hard can I hit, you know, all the parts you have underneath here? Yeah. So, you know, I went with, as I said, I, was, I went and pre-run with a lot of four-wheel parts guys and, um, I mean, these are rock sessions we ran last year. Mm-hmm. So I already knew the section roughly where we were going. Yeah. And I knew how rough it was. Mm-hmm. And it's more so you're just kind of wiggling over boulders and stuff like that, rough stuff, and you're just bottoming out everywhere. Right. Picking the best line where you bottom out the least. It's not crazy steep like it is here. Sure. And you got traction because it's dry. So it's just picking the best lines to get the smoothest route. Right. And I put that thing following them and following different lines and it just went easier yeah like i could see their machines bottoming yeah and kind of getting hung up where this machine wouldn't because mm-hmm. i i was a little nervous of it. i was like all right we've extended wheelbase mm-hmm. so when you're extending a wheelbase it should bottom a little bit quicker right. just because it's longer right um it didn't as much as what i thought sure. i mean it still bottoms of course how, how much longer were you about a foot uh roughly okay um uh, stock racers 90 mm-hmm. and a can mx3 is 103 mm-hmm uh, so we're landing right there around Canon X3 range. Okay. okay. So uh, and it all depends on you know my arms are offset right. by forward and backward a little bit. So that that True. changes things yeah. compared to stock geometries and whatever. Mm-hmm. So you know we went through there and it it seemed to go very well. It didn't bottom out as bad as theirs. It it kind of crawled right through everything. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say for next year, you know, we went and we raced and. Fox helped me with a little bit of spring issues and mm-hmm. just trying to, because the whole machine is a little bit heavier. Yeah. So they made sure the spring rates were good, made sure the internals were good as far as what I was mm-hmm. needing out of it, because it was it was acting kind of noisy mm-hmm. and and a little bit of pre running and then the qualifying it was they would just they would top out real hard mm-hmm. and they'd clack a lot and I was like well this this needs to be fixed right and like well that's kind of just those shocks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not the answer I want to hear. That's, right. That's not yeah. right. You yeah. know, it, I was like, okay, maybe that's what they're known for us, but it doesn't mean it has to be like that. Correct. It's like, well, we have these different internal springs we can do to, to kind of stiffen it up and it won't be so loud and it'll kind of help the dampening. Because uh, like you were saying, like, they can spring it for what it carries. Right. But when you add arms and mm-hmm. wheels and tires, well, that's more, that's more weight that's carrying out. Correct. So you almost have to revalve the rebound side of it mm-hmm. so it doesn't slap out so hard exactly because you've overweighted the valving on the rebound side of it and exactly. that's that's getting in stuff that like the average person's never going to know never going to know about and, and even you know the average person won't even run into that if you're running your your rig down a uh, you know a gravel road or riding a little trail ride you're probably not going to have that issue you know it's when you're really running it hard and everything's dialed in perfectly that that becomes an issue. Well, it's not in necessarily, I mean, it, it's partially running hard, but when you're running through like boulder sections or creek beds and, and you're kind of getting in at weird angles where mm-hmm. a wheel's kicking off the ground. Right. Well, if you kick it off the ground slowly, you'll never hear it. Right. But if you're doing it rather quick, you'll hear the shock slap out real mm-hmm. hard. And that's because there's so much weight pulling it out Correct. and the spring also that you hear it. So they, they helped and got a, a better spring inside of it mm-hmm. to where it wouldn't do that as bad and therefore it, it helped the dampening all the way around. Yeah. And they stiffened the valve stack up a little bit because cool. heavier car. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're set to go. And then 
Oh, rolling out there, I don't even have a co-driver. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Because I was supposed <laughs> to have a co-driver, yeah. and he just couldn't leave his job. It was just too much money gone, and that's fine. Sure. So uh, while we were building it, Adam's buddy, uh, Wes King, mm-hmm. which we talked about earlier, right. which is a really, really good driver, really good excellent rock hill climber guy yeah. type whatever, uh, he was already going out there to do the uh, hill climb shootout. Yeah. And he said, hey, man, I'll go, I'm coming out there. You know, I'll co-drive with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay. And Adam told me, so yeah, he was a really good guy. He's, you know, very good as far as the uh, rock crawling. He'll be great, when, you know, those situations to know how to get you through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, perfect. So he hopped in with me uh, basically right after qualifying. <laughs> we rode through the desert for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just to feel the shocks out yeah. and whatever. And I was like, all right, that's all. We're going racing more. Nice. And I showed him how to use the iPad as right. far as the lead nav stuff. And I was like, you know, you won't have to do much, just this, this, and this. And yeah. I was like, I just need to know, like, whether it's a fast turn, a medium turn, or a sharp turn. I, right. said, I need to know that. And I need to know, you know, so far out. Uh, just so I don't even have to think about yeah, that, whatever. And I said, I, I can't know too many turns out because I'll forget. Right. You know, it, it's pretty basic. Yeah. And, um. Uh, so we took off the next morning. We didn't qualify with a crap. We qualified 89th out of 100. 89th out of 100. So I actually checked. Uh, I checked after qualifying to see where you were, and I saw. And how the, the machine was running good. Everything was good. The machine good. ran good. The thing is, I had zero laps yep. on the qualifying course. Sure, and I didn't go out a little there. seat time, honestly. Well, the seat time was one thing, but I didn't know the qualifying course. Oh, like, I didn't wow. even see it yeah. until I left the starting line. Wow, that's a... Uh, because I was dealing with Fox and trying right. to get these shocks right. Right. So I went out and qualified. And we went around the mountain up and over, and I was like, all right, mm-hmm. cool. And I never even saw the time until later that evening I saw it, and I was like, well, that's not very good. Mm-hmm. They did say they had a timing issue, like the timer didn't start until I had already left mm. and, and whatever. And they, yeah. they added some time to kind of equal it out, and I was like, all right, man, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. Because um, King then, of Hammers is corrected time. So it's not necessarily who leaves the gate first. It's all about who leaves uh, – you know, at the end of the day, it took you X amount of hours to complete the track, and yeah. it's compared against everybody that way. Yeah, it's all racing the clock. Correct. So, like, I mean, people can be in your way, and it's, they're not really in your way, mm-hmm. but they are slowing your time down. Correct. So, you know, I left out, and then I saw a video later on, like, there's there was a shortcut line that I missed mm. in the qualifying course that would have cut off like four seconds. That's a lot of time. And I just didn't know it was there. Right. And I just raced what I saw. And I mean, that's my fault from mm-hmm. being, you know, lack of prepared and whatever. And, you know, it was just making the very best of the situation. Sure. So we got out the next day and he's, uh, you know, Wes is getting ready and we're lining up, getting ready to leave. And we take off across the desert, you know, and uh, about 10 miles in, blew a belt. Woo. Like, I'm like... <laughs> I'm thinking there's something wrong because I don't blow belts. Right. I went across country and didn't blow belts. Right. I've got belts of 7,000 miles on them. Right. I raced the whole Best in the Desert Series on two belts. Ooh. What happened? And just a I don't know. Well, no. We just we, we don't have time to go evaluate what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So right. we hop out. Thankful for Wes. He had the belt chain. He had. We chained. We blew four belts that day. Four belts? Yeah. How many belts you bring with you? I remember about eight. Oh, good. <laughs> we we carried two spare belts in in the razor no matter what. Right. When we pulled in the pit, we'd grab another spare. Okay. And um, we took off, and he was good. I mean, he could change a belt in under five minutes. That's crazy. Like, I, I have the cover with quick pins to pull the cover off. Uh-huh. He wouldn't even use the tools. 
he would just throw it on there, rip it, and grab it, and turn Ooh, it. Ooh, strong man. I mean, like, yeah. no other. I'm like, yeah. man, there's still marks of his gloves melted on my muffler to where he was holding it while he was pulling on it. Oh, I'm like, gosh, man. Dude was a beast, but yeah. we got to pit one. We took on some fuel and uh, got a spare belt, and we, we got very fortunate, you know, being buddies with a lot of Polaris guys. Yeah. Jagged X had told me the day before, you know, if you need help, we'll help you. Wes had a buddy there that was like our main pit guy. But he sent fuel back with the other guys just in case we beat him to the pit. Mm-hmm. You know, that way we always had, you know, stuff waiting for us. We took off and, you know, we're talking back and forth through the helmets and these, uh, you know, just being the adventure side, we come over mountains. I was like, you know, I was like, this is a race. I was like, but this is pretty awesome scenery that yeah. don't many people see unless yeah. you're actually racing it. He's like, yeah, man, it, it is pretty cool. And, you know, I'm not going incredibly fast, just cruising along. Yeah. And uh, we're just passing people, you know, every five minutes we pass another car, bro. Yeah. And uh, I told him early on, I was like, you know, I was like, I'm not going to be the fastest out there. I said, I'll go ahead and tell you. I was like, but it's all about lasting until the end. It's about finishing. King of Hammers and, uh, is a race that you win by finishing. We got, we went past pit one. We got all the way back around to pit one again because mm-hmm. it's a loop. And we're coming back into pit one. He's man, you're right. He's like, it's like a graveyard out here. Yeah. There's just broken cars everywhere. Wow. And I was like, exactly. I was like, we just got to finish. Yeah. And I was like, if you want to finish up top, there's more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, you got to be fast. Yeah. And keep it together. Right. But, you know, we trucked right along. We did all lap one went just fine. We got going into lap two through all the rocks. And uh, we got up in the rocks and we passed some big name people. Yeah. Like, we passed Robbie Gordon. Ooh. He was. We got in a rock section. It was, yeah. it was a left or a right, yeah. and it was a split, and uh-huh. it, it came to the same spot. So I picked right because I knew it was to the left. There was a ledge in there that would traffic jam back, and it right. was already traffic jam like six cars back. Yeah, And you could see that coming into it. So I looked to the right, and there was a couple cars, but it was kind of scattered. Mm-hmm. So he got up in there. He was having a hard time, um, mostly because his width. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Textron he was driving was like 78 inches wide. Yeah. And that just doesn't work the best in the rocks. You know, maybe in a desert, he right. might be good, but um, they, he looked like a fish out of water. Man. And so he kind of backed up and he was taking another line. We walked right around him, like never never spun a tire. Yeah. And never, never checked up, just kept rolling. Yeah. Rolled right past him, rolled like, like, passed like four people right in a row right there. Did a little hill climb, passed some other people, got just over the hill. There's Robbie's other car. Yeah. It's sitting there bottomed out on top of two rocks, stuck and broke. So we passed all them. Crazy. Got going. We passed some of the Monster Energy stuff, and we missed a turn somewhere at the bottom of of uh, Chocolate Thunder because it was going down it that year. Mm-hmm. And we missed a turn back on the course. And I, we kept riding, and I seen the barrier, and we rode all the way around this damn sand mountain <laughs> and come back in on the course. Yeah. So we didn't advantage no time whatsoever. Right. Yeah. We finally get back on the course, get right, and that's partially my navigator like uh-huh. i'm like i need to know where to turn here yeah you know yeah and he's like oh well you know the line's over there and i'm like yeah we'll figure it out yeah just whatever yeah so we get back up in the rocks we make another great pass on like five people in a row they're yeah. they're sitting in a row waiting on the main line right we we drive right next to them beside them up a rougher line yeah snake in between them and keep moving there you go like no big deal yeah that's how you race and, though i mean the the that chassis and that the whole wide open design chassis product like it just worked great it just, yeah it's built for that kind of stuff yeah and it handled the desert very well because it was that wheelbase extension yeah um i mean it would 
take as fast as I wanted to go. And we had to back off because of the belt issue. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was a vent tube going down to the belt. Mm-hmm. It was collapsing on itself. Mm. I told the guys at the pit to turn the, yeah. turn the intake. And when yeah. it did, it creased it. Yeah. Oh, and we I never see. could get that back out. So yeah. it was never cycling the air as it should. Yeah. So, you know, that was just, just a, a silly issue, whatever. Sure. But we get all the way around to the last pit. And we got fuel. And then... Uh, we went towards um, Outer Limits, which is the last rock climb yeah. of the course. Uh-huh. And it's crazy rough. It's ru- it's a rough. Outer it's, Limits It's crazy. silly rough. Yeah. And a lot of winching. I pre-runned it all last, last year, and I went into it, and I, I knew where to go. And we were we were cruising a lot longer. We blew a belt again, mm-hmm. like right before it. Well, then, you know, it was getting hot, so we just pulled the cover off. And yeah. just threw it in the floorboard. Yeah. Like, you know, let it breathe. Well, it had got so hot that it actually locked the clutch up, like the bearing in the center. Oh, wow. And so the clutch didn't want to work real good. So yeah. we were battling that through the rocks. And right. then we broke the winch line. And that's the one place you don't want to battle a clutch is when no. you're sitting in the rock section. No. And there was someone broke in the main line, which was easier. So we were against like a three-foot wall trying to winch up it. Woo! Broke the, broke the winch rope. Oh! And the clutch wasn't wanting to pull. And it wasn't wanting to shift because it was stuck in gear. Right. I like almost broke the shifter cable out of it. So, I mean, everything happened in a 10-foot section, like, went bad. We come into Outer Limits with two and a half hours left to finish. Yeah. And it's like, all right, let's say an hour and a half up, you know, maybe an hour out, we'll be right there at the time limit. You know, we finally, we, he was basically, like, I was like a puppy on a string. Yeah. He was just kept the winch line out and just kept hooking to different things. We used the winch to pull us on through. Right. And Mitch Guthrie, that one, it didn't pull the winch one time. That is a testament to a good driver. Well, it's or a something. it's a good driver. It's a good co-driver, yeah. and it's it's a lot of research and homework. I guess yeah. they knew where to go. Yeah, and they knew that like these rocks will be moved by the time we get here. This is you know pivot on these things. And, you know, I watched a video of him going through outer limits. Yeah, he wasn't fast. Just, but he was always moving. Yeah, and he he just knew where to put his tires. Yeah, and his co-driver knew exactly where to go. I mean. Ooh, they just, just it was the excellent combination that's you know wild. king and Aaron's is one race where it the co-driver can literally make or break your race absolutely in the rock sections because yeah. they know where to go know where not to well, go they can see where you can't as well you know, so you know we, we got through all that we stopped through the last pit grabbed a spare belt just in case mm-hmm. and we went down spooners and there's a big thing at the bottom of like there's a bypass that bypass is like a whole half of a canyon yeah you know like if you take this you will be dq'd yeah and we started heading down there i, I took a line wrong tipped on our side mm. that put us down like 30 minutes yeah and but at that time like jagged x had just come by us right before that yeah sarah price which qualified seventh right she had just come up, up on us when we were flipping back over right and there was someone else that had been doing really good, that qualified really good. Like all these people that that were passing me had qualified in the top, like way ahead top of fifteen. You. Right. Yeah. And at, at that point, I I was like, you know what? It's all right. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. As it because for this long, I've been beating the top people 10. who started. I've been beating the top ten people. Right. Up until now. And that's that's for perspective that's over 70 positions 70 racers 70 yeah. units so ahead we had worked we had worked our way up like our far as our finishing across the line yeah maybe i mean better yeah but we were beating people that qualified way better than us that's amazing and we had we didn't have a flat tire 
the worst thing we had was whose tires do you run we run them system three tires system three shout out to system three <laughs> the you, system three tires that you, uh, that xcr rock crawler tire they have it's kind of a softer compound yeah um a, a very good tire it, do you it, run tire balls uh, you're not allowed to in Ultra Four. So they have they put a ban against tire balls, tire blocks, any kind of yeah. run flat system, yeah. uh, because they said it took away from the racing. They said I it made it. the racing. I get it. That's fine. They said the, they said it made the racing unsafe. I don't. Is well, that, I mean, is that the high speed element, or what do, what do you think? Maybe the element of a driver takes less care. You can just run it because straight. they know it'll be fine, and they'll just blow through everything. Ooh. And if there's a crowd nearby, <laughs> right? That's true. So. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of silly, yeah. but whatever. You, you just abide by whatever. Yeah, I agree. That's and fine. so, you know, we got rolled back over, and the rest of the race, I, I was just happy. Yeah. Because I was like, you know what, we were, we were beating people that were qualifying way better than yeah. us. And had way more aspect of doing better than us. Absolutely. Like they should have done, they were hyped up to do way better right out of the gate. Yeah. And we were beating them. Yeah. And so... They had problems. We didn't. That's yeah. just that was the day. That's how it worked out. Yeah. And so we got tipped back over. We got all the way out to the desert. We cruised across the desert, and the last section, about thirty miles of desert, we're cruising across. And you look to the left, and you can see Hammertown over there. Yeah. But they make us go straight all the way around the backside of the mountain. Yeah. And come back in, and. I tell you, going across there, it's hard not to just veer left and go straight towards the lights. <laughs> but yeah. we followed our path. We went all the way to the end. And um, we finished an hour outside of the time frame. Yeah. Now, if we wouldn't have had to tip over, that would have been a lot closer. Right. If we if we would have had less problems yeah. in the rocks, we probably could have finished right there in the type, top uh, top whatever for the time frame. Yeah. So we weren't far out. And considering the year before... I got cut off at three o'clock, right. or basically three thirty, or I cut myself out basically. Right. So, knowing that we went from like barely finishing half the course to finishing barely outside the time frame, yeah, it, it felt pretty awesome. Now yeah. when we go back and look at some of the results. There's people I passed in the rocks that finished in front of me, but they never passed me. Yeah. So there's some weird stuff going on yeah. as far as the tracking and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Because I've never seen them in the rock section that I had a hard time in. Yeah, that's wild. But they finished in front of me. So huh. how does that work? Huh. Well, they probably just bypassed. Hey, Ultra Four, <laughs> got, you, got, you got some things to look into there. It, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You know, it's all fun. We were outside of the time frame. Yeah. But we finished, I think, 35th out of 120. So, for those who don't have a full understanding of King of Hammers... And only 40 finished, or 43 finished in total. So, 40 rigs finished. Go go look at a video, go watch the YouTube, whatever. Um, figure out a way to understand what King of Hammers is. To finish is an excellent, excellent accomplishment. It's, it's incredible. So, congratulations for finishing, yeah, first I mean, and foremost. It, it, it felt great to finish. Yeah. And it felt great to finish in that, that buggy that had, you know... Little to no issues outside right. of something silly. Right. Um, so, you know, that was a, a good taking in itself. We rolled up through the finish line. Dave Cole, the guy that puts on the race. Yeah. He come out and said congratulations, and I talked to him for a minute. He's like, oh, Hubert. Yeah. Hey, how are you? You know, because yeah. he had called me like the week before and yeah. made sure I was coming and yeah. whatever. And um, so you pull around, you pull up on stage, and they right. usually do an interview. Right. They had the Super Bowl on. Worst. I didn't even know there was a Super Bowl going on. Wow. I didn't know who was playing. I didn't know where it was at. Fourth on the Super Bowl. Yes. No interview. And they're like, why don't you get out of the way so we can watch a game? Wow. 
and so we got yeah. a, we got like one or two pictures from a local yeah. friend. Yeah. And whatever, you know, that's I guess that's our fault for being late. But <laughs> well, but we finished, and at the end, you know, there's there's a lot of times going through your head, it's like, man, this is stupid. Like, yeah. Why am I out here? This yeah. is ignorant. I'm not doing this no more. Yeah. And then about a day later, you want to do it again, right? Because you know what to change, you know what to do better. Yeah. Um, you know how to be better. You know what to look into, and so you know we'll see for next year. Yeah. Um, definitely, this this razor crawler has a. Um, I think it has a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Just it's tough and things you don't have to worry about, and yeah. you know it's going to last. And as long as you put good parts on it, it's going to last. Yeah. So, so I think it's pretty good. But yeah, there was a lot of people going around. You know, oh yeah, at least you finish and. Yeah, as far as King of Hammers go, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Finishing in itself is a big deal. Right. But I come from Travis and Nitro Circus, and finishing is, duh, you've... You finished. Finishing is expected. Right. It's not, like, a big deal. Right. You need to be finishing top five. Right. So, am I ever a top five runner? I have no clue. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, But... I, I, I think I think if we do it again, we can finish within the time frame. There you go. Because we know what to expect. We know how to build something. Yeah, one so, step closer. Yeah. So, so if we go if we go next year, that's year three. Yeah. And finish within the time frame, you know, that's a pretty good goal. And then that's pretty you, good. You try to keep upping it, but at the same time, you kind of look at it like, man, it's it, is it really worth it? You know. Yeah. Uh, what what people listening may or may not understand is. King of Hammers is an awesome race, it's, but it's extremely expensive. Yeah. I mean, racing in general is expensive, but I mean, the entry fee alone is, I mean, for UTV class, entry fee is $1,500. That's a lot. And then, that's just entry fee. Yeah. That's not, if you want a garage space. Yeah. Uh, a garage space is a, is a fee, and it, it's all part of the event. That's just yeah. how it is, you know, whatever. And I'm not complaining, that just is what it is, but right. at the same time, then all your expenses as far as gas you know food hotel you know whatever you know we're we're pushing to drive across country you're pushing a thousand dollars each way in fuel it's a lot you know so there i mean there's thirty five hundred dollars right there before you've even started your razor yeah before you've even done anything and then you got your parts you need your spares you know it just adds up yeah and uh, someone doing it cheap you're into it five grand right it's just part of it. And yeah. I'm not complaining. It's just that's that's an aspect that people don't see. Yeah. And I hear people around here complain about racing locally. And yeah. Their entry fee here is 200 bucks. Right. So I'm like, oh, okay. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I blew four belts, and they're $200 a piece. Yeah, that's a good. That's a, so, that's, um, a, that's an easy belt, too. That's a, that's a cheap one. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we're not complaining. Yeah. It's just there is an aspect behind it. Of, yeah. Is it truly worth it? Sure, certainly. So, i got to say, we did over three hours. <laughs> we did over three hours. Well, I don't think we're going to use it all. No, so we're going to use it all. Wow. Everything's going to go in, so I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to split it up. But uh, so 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 where can people find you on uh, social media? So I have Facebook uh, and I have Instagram. They're both Nitro. Yep. And then Redneck R E D N E K and Hubert H U B E R T. So those are Facebook and Instagram. That's what I use. I don't have anything else besides that. Okay. Um, People ask about my adventures and rides and stuff like that and the power sport safety. Uh, if I'm doing something and I want the public involved, it'll be on there. Okay. Um, 
Follow on Instagram. If I, Facebook. If I don't want to make it publicly known, it won't be on there. there it's, we go. it's literally that simple. Okay. And I invite everybody to come riding whenever I go ride. That's fine, especially if it's at a public place. Now, yeah. at my house, not, not so much. We <laughs> don't, don't show up. We don't need hundreds <laughs> of people here. There you go. All right. Well, uh, Hubert, thanks for meeting with me. Uh, Hubert Rowland, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. All right, my man. Have a good one. Yep. Hey guys, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. I just want to say again, check out our Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is. Make sure you guys are liked, subscribed. That helps us bring you guys better content and it just gets better. The audio gets better, the video gets better, everything will get better. Just like, subscribe, share it with your friends. If you think somebody would like to hear what we have to say or like to hear somebody talk, tag them, send it to them. Let's get this big as possible. And I want to say thanks again for listening.